Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to talk about soulmate concepts. Um, and we did a podcast last year-ish, I think in October, where we talked about um, the soulmate um, uh, trope, and we talked about like the traditional uh, mechanics that we see in fandom. Unfortunately, neither one of us remember that podcast specifically. And it's not up yet, so we couldn't listen to it because I've been a lazy ass about editing. Um, so if we do any repeating tonight, it is what it is. <laughs> I think it's likely we will do some repeating because um, I think we talked mostly about like the common soulmate tropes. Um, but um, we'll, we, we're going to try to talk about a little bit more unconventional soulmate tropes um or kind of brainstorm some something that might be a little bit off the beaten path but we'll probably have to retread because sometimes the stuff that's off the beaten path is rooted in something conventional so we'll we'll retread but let's not retread what we had what happened in the shifter podcast oh shucks really <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to do a deep dive looking for someone's soul mark <laughs> Let's just leave that gaping hole where it is. <laughs> I recently edited those two podcasts and I had to go back and put an explicit warning on the first one because I forgot. Yeah, no Twinkies down the hallway. No. You know, I actually have a podcast titled that. And it's titled that because of Azure. Because she said it in the middle of the chat. That it would be like throwing a Twinkie down a hallway. <laughs> <coughs> so it's her fault. So I think, I mean, I think when you're approaching a a soulmate story, um, well, when picking your soulmate trope, I mean, I think you have to kind of decide how complicated you want it to be to find your soulmate. Because... Like soul, soul marks that don't reveal. Actually, I love the trope that the soul mark isn't revealed until you touch. I actually do love it, but it's a logistical complication. Um, the odds are in a world where you only reveal your soul mark, it, it, odds are that that is when you touch. is It's unlikely many people are going to find their soulmate. So if you want it to be hard to find your soulmate and that's the kind of story you want to tell, like, oh, this person has overcome the odds and they found their soulmate. Okay, that could be a really good trope for you, right? But everybody, you know, most people find their soulmate. It's a pretty typical thing. People's soulmates marry, you know, most people don't have a first marriage because they marry their soulmate. You know, they, they soulmate matching sites. That's not going to be a good trope for that kind of story. So, um, you kind of so whether whichever whether you go with a more conventional trope or whether you go with something that's a little bit different, um, you're gonna want to pick a trope that fits the story kind of story you want to tell, um, the kind of world you want your characters to be living in. Um, how difficult do you want that to be them fight each other? How likely do you want it to be? Do you want your readers to be sitting there kind of tilting their head, going, "Really, really? Um, do you need an entire page of author notes?" you know, so that your reader's credulity is not strained from the outset. I mean, you just got to kind of think about those things ahead of time. And some, I think, soulmate tropes are less, are harder to deal with and less probable 
in terms of widespread people, you know, people having everybody having a soulmate, it's just difficult. Um, first names on the, you know, like first names, just a random first name. We talked about this. I remember this suddenly in that podcast, we talked about like, just if you're born with somebody's first name on your wrist, parents would be naming their kids all kind of wacky shit. <laughs> just to make there it would, easier for their kid to get their soulmate. Yeah. Right. There, there would be nobody named John in a world with, soulmate names on the wrist it just wouldn't doesn't make it i mean i've written that story but it doesn't actually make a lot of sense and i actually said in the story you know like how many times how many johns had rodney met in his life you know who had rodney on their wrist and he had john on his wrist his parents trying to find his soulmate for him because well, but, the worst part about that is, is actually it wouldn't be rodney it would be meredith it would be meredith which is what i put in the story but the the odds are is there'd be almost nobody named John. You know, I mean, par- I mean, a parent who named their kid something common would be the dick parent who didn't want their kid to find their soulmate or who didn't believe. And that actually could be a that could be a that, <coughs> that could be a story thing. element. That could be a story element. You have a parent who doesn't believe in soulmates or doesn't want to encourage that kind of nonsense, and so they find the most common name out there and they name their kid that. It's mean. But you know, if some parents would do that, um, I want to say one thing. I want to say one thing. Um, if you have to explain an element of your plot in your author note, you've not done your job. The only thing I tr- usually will kind of explain away in my author note is like canon things that didn't happen because there's no way narratively to explain to the reader that something didn't happen. Right? Because how does your character know that something didn't happen to them? <laughs> well, I didn't catch the plague. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <Cal, when> <laughs> yeah, but when you spend, you know, 500 words on your author note explaining your plot to your reader before they ever read your story, I have questions, but it isn't going to be about your story. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, to be fair, there probably are some ways in this. If your story is centered, or like literally at the end of season two, to for the reader to see that Tony didn't get the plague. But if your story, let's say, is centered years later, there's no way to tell the reader in a natural fashion that Tony didn't catch the plague. It's better to just put in the author note: Tony didn't catch the plague. You know, that way they aren't wondering what. How about his lungs? Are he okay? Why is he on that ship? He's got lung problems, Jillian. <laughs> Or, you know, you could actually give the plague to Tim. And then, you know, Tony could have a moment where he's thinking, oh, yeah, I was just thinking about my my old co-worker who got the plague from this lady who sent this ridiculous envelope. And he insisted on opening it. And he got the plague and he died. Yeah. There are some events you can pretty easily narratively address if you want to. But it can also be maybe a distraction in your story you don't want. So, it just depends upon, that's the typically the kind of thing, if I don't think there's a natural way to address it in the narrative, I will just put an author note. This didn't happen. Because if it's awkward to put it in the narrative, I'm not going to do it. Um, but like, like one of the things, I am one of the plots I'm considering for April is set in a contemporary fandom with a show on the air now. And the current canon does deal heavily with the whole COVID thing. And if I want to like say I don't want to deal with COVID, I might, I'd put it in an author, author note. Hey, guess what? <laughs> No COVID. 
But at the time that Swack happened, Tim really hadn't had much of an opportunity to be a dick. And I don't think he'd actually published his first book. He hadn't. The book didn't cap until a full season and a half, two seasons later. Two yeah, seasons he later. At, at that point, he was still writing his Gibbs fan fiction. He yeah. hadn't published it yet. He published it. Um, he published it sometime in season four, early season four, but we don't really find out much about it until I think season five, maybe. I'm not 100% sure about that. We might find out about it in season four, but I thought it was more in season five. But um, it the, the, the books are, are a deeply problematic element in NCIS. <laughs> just just, yeah. just to write fan fiction about your boss as a rule. It, it It's a good rule. He wrote RPF, basically. <laughs> yeah, he did. He, uh, yeah, he did, which is... He basically wrote RPF for his co-workers. Which is gross. Barely tweaking their names. It's really appalling. Um, <laughs> yeah, really bad unkind RPF. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. How, you know and in reality, he would have gotten sued by the guy, he, Jimmy. Come on. I had this vague idea for like a little short at one point where Tony's friends with Harvey Specter and hires him to sue Tim over that fucking book. <laughs> That's great. Jimmy Palmer needs to sue him. Needs to sue the fuck out of him. Jimmy's, yeah. Although I actually, I actually think if Tony is a person lawyer, it's probably Jessica. I don't even know what to do with that, Sybil. Why, but why? Why would you do that to a Skittle? Sybil's off freeze-drying Skittles, y'all. I... I feel like we need to stage an intervention. I don't understand why you'd want to freeze dress. I mean, you got them off at. Is Sybil in space? <laughs> I don't understand this rationale. She got them off Etsy. Oh, look at Reaper doing research for me. It's episode nine of season four. It's where we find out about the book. I have okay. written Tony being a much better and much more successful author than Tim. I have been there and she done that. I've done it twice. He, he, he wrote a book out of spite. Yeah, the spite, the spite writing was uh, overqualified, which is on EAD, and, and the um, he's just a much more successful author. Period is beautiful decline, which oh, actually it's also on EAD. But beautiful decline is a crossover with Lucifer. If that is something yes. that would bother you, it's do not read it guy. and do not bother her with it. Right. Don't tell me you don't tell me you don't want to read Lucifer's story. I just really don't care. It's also finished. It's, it's on EAD, but it's finished because I put it on EAD because I wasn't sure if I wanted to if I wanted to continue the story, it, it, like write a sequel to it, or just let it be done. That's because I had uncertainty about my feelings about the story. I decided to put it on EAD rather than put it on my site, so that's why it's there. But it is finished as it is, and it is a Sentinel Guide story. Um. Oh, dude, you would not believe how many people wrote me to tell me they would, they'd, they'd give that story a pass because I decided to write a loose I mean, suck my dick, okay? <laughs> Do you have any idea how hot he is, Lucifer is? Do you have any idea how hot he is? Oh if, any, if anybody deserves to get a piece of that, it's Tony. Tom Ellis, what motherfucker? I mean, I, I, how? How? How do you exist? <laughs> Because uh, it's about the devil, Shadow. <laughs> Lucifer, it's literally about the devil living on Earth and fucking people and solving crime and 
fucking people, but it, but also fucking a lot of people, people, yeah. and sometimes solving crime. <laughs> yeah. See, what's wrong with that? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing, honey. Nothing. Just. Mm. I cast him to play a part in the legacy. My Harry Potter story. He plays um, the wizard that uh, the Privy Council wants to make the administrator of the ministry. And another wizard gets up and complains because he's a dark wizard. And Harry's like, he can't be a dark wizard. He's too pretty. (laughs) (laughs) He's way too pretty. He still even has his nose. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) <laughs> so, yeah, so you know, Harry, Harry being Harry, it's actually one of my favorite scenes in the legacy. He's like, well, actually, Your Majesty, I am in fact a dark wizard. <laughs> Harry, Harry's having none of it because you're too pretty. This is um, normally Hannibal Channel's the prettiest channel on the server, but right now it's this one. <laughs> Holy shit! I have to save that one. Hold on. It says something that when I went to save from Discord, it automatically opened up my Hannibal folder. It does say something, yes. I save a lot of images out of the Hannibal channel. Um, but let's talk about like alternative concepts for soulmates. Um, and uh, one of the uh, one of the first things that popped into my mate my my brain on that subject would be like a mate, like a shifter mate. It's okay. a take on like a like a one true mate would be very similar to a soulmate trope, um, and uh, like the one in um, the Hobbit, like the the Dwaro have a one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the dyad concept in Star Wars. Um, by that matter, by that measure, the way a lot of in people interpret Sentinel Guide is soulmate. Yeah. I do. Um, yeah, okay. There was a time in my past when I definitely wrote the Sentinel and Guide thing as like a soulmate kind of situation. But lately, I've been kind of moving away from that, and I explored it um, in um, the Sentinels of Atlantis with Chase's first guide and how his guide died, um, and he eventually will bond with Matt um, in Sentinels of Atlantis, and. Um, I, I've been kind of noodling it when I've been writing Heart of the Lion, um, or Heart of a Lion, because of, you know, life happens, and people die, and the idea of a sentinel or a guide having this bond that gets taken from them, um, and then they're alone the rest of their life, is, it's, it's, it's sad. It's, it's really sad. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be binary. It doesn't have to be, you know, one true mate or or nothing. It could be right. There's there's a spectrum that some people find. Some people have, you know, that they're just one. That's just it. There's only going to be one person for them. Um, I did that in the sort of the demons verse, where some people are only ever going to be able to bond with one person, and some people are have a, a variety of people they can form a bond with. So you can kind of, I think, put that on a spectrum, but I do see people write that kind of thing at times where it is 
there's only one Sentinel or guide. There's only one match. And when, and, and people even go take it to the extreme of, and when the one dies, the other drops dead too. I mean, which is the extreme, like you wind up with a life bond, which is like, I think kind of like the extreme of the soulmate trope is the life bond. Like once you meet and you're, I guess you, you actually, I don't, and see, the thing is the mechanics of that are often a little bit like weird mm. to me. Cause it's like your soulmates from birth, but something happens once you meet and what and then once you die, one of them, one of you dies, the other drops dead too. I don't. Now, I've written that in um, Harry Potter because of magical bonds and core, you know, magical magic cores and all that stuff. Um, but I kind of that's a magical circumstance. I have a hard time wrapping my my head around it being um, in a sentinel and guide thing, unless you know, honestly, not really just drop dead, but just kind of grieve to death, fade. But that wouldn't be immediate. Yeah. I mean, I've read like I've read stories where it was literally like the partner died and the other one dropped dead, even if they weren't on the same planet. It was like boom. Kaput. But I, you know, I it, I've seen it. I mean, I had an aunt and uncle who died within days of each other. They were married for 63 years and she passed. She had a heart attack. And four days after we had his funeral her funeral. He went to bed, went to sleep, and didn't wake up. I mean, broken heart he, syndrome is a real thing. He um, was just he was just done. Yeah. People just And so um I so I can see that kind of ha- happening with sentinels and guides who have been bonded for a very long time. Not like an immediate drop dead, but you know, like a just dying of a broken heart. Yeah. There's an episode of Code Black where um, somebody dies of broken heart syndrome and it's it's really sad. Um, I don't I think I've, ever, I've never really wanted to explore that in a story, but I could see it, you know, especially if like a Sentinel guy had been together for a long time or it had a very profound connection. Um, so I think there are, like you mentioned, there are a lot of examples of atypical soulmate tropes that are already out there. Um, it's I think that's really weird. It's not really a soulmate thing, but but it 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 struck me as um really um a really strong moment. I don't normally read a lot of Teen Wolf, um, but I read a Teen Wolf story where Styles was in college and Derek was in Beacon Hills with the rest of the pack, and he was um doing um he was doing his pack leader thing just being a good alpha. Um, and it, obviously it was an AU. Um, and um, Styles was being stalked by this guy at uh, school who he called like a creepy Uncle Peter, but he thought he was human, but he wasn't human. And he kidnaps Styles and he bites him. And um, Styles breaks free and runs to Derek. And like he literally runs. <laughs> to Beacon Hills. He's so freaked out. And he, the, the first thing he tells Derek, and he grabs him, he says, you're my alpha, you're my alpha. And it's just like, he's intent on making, on making sure that this, this other alpha wolf doesn't intrude on what he has or feels for Derek, even though he hasn't really acknowledged um, the romantic component yet. And there's just something really compelling about that, that element. It is. It, it is. It was very compelling. 
I don't I, remember I the name of the fic. I'm so sorry. I vaguely remember that. Maybe somebody will be able to find it while we're while we Willow? go on. It, if we do find it, we'll we'll drop it in the. Is Willow here? Is is is, is, is the OG ninja here? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, she, she is. Actually. She is here. She's here. <laughs> you could just add, add that to your nickname, OG Ninja. <laughs> Willow's been our fit ninja for like forever. For as long as for as long as I can remember. Like 2010. <laughs> I didn't join you bitches until 2014. Um uh, I mean I've, I did my first rough trade in 2013, but I didn't join any of the social stuff till 2014. So it's only been I guess seven years now. Wow. But yeah, it, it's a it's a Derek and Styles get together fic. They weren't together when it happened. But when Styles gets bitten, he's just like so intent on getting to Derek that he runs. He runs all the way to fucking Beacon Hills from he's not very far from home, like 30 or 40 minutes from home, you know? Yeah. I mean, there are two, there are two stories. But, that have Drew stories have a similar plot line with Styles getting bitten, and one of them there's a big misunderstanding about Styles' bite, and the other one Styles is run, runs to Derek. Both of them he eventually winds up in Beacon Hills, um, and Derek is his alpha. But in one of them there's a giant misunderstanding in it, and they're they're very different stories. But um, it's easy to get them confused because they're Reaper might have found it. I'm I'm looking. Yep, this is it. Yeah, yeah, it's called Choice by Omni. Um, and I, like I said, what I like about it is this, you know, this, the surety in um, Styles that he, that he knows who he is and he knows um, how to deal with his new circumstances. And um, he's not going to let anybody else make this decision for him. Um, and I, and I really, like, I, I really find that compelling and um, his trust in Derek is also really compelling. Yeah. But there is something really interesting about knowing. Like like well, like when your characters meet for the first time and there's that that knowing like oh there you are. Which you know it's like something it's like kind of like the universe is giving you something back that you didn't know you were missing. Yeah. Well, I mean the thing is I think that there are when it comes to that knowing I think there are many shows where there emerges a big ship um, where that's like what we saw on the screen. It's like the two characters met and it was like everybody went, oh, those two know each other. Somehow they've all, and, and I, the, the one that first jumps out in my mind um, is um, Vin Tanner and Chris Larrabee on The Magnificent Seven. Um, there was something just I know not everybody's seen that. It's not everybody's in the Old West. Although I think a lot of people have read um, the fan fiction, the ATF fan fiction, who have never seen the show. Because that's one of the weird fandoms where there's a huge fandom following for the ATF that have never, like it's a procedural, that have never read, never seen the Old West TV show or the movies. But anyway, in the TV show, they had such a profound instant connection. It was it was so deep. And it, it lasted the whole show. Um that it was not a surprise that they emerged really as the 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 biggest um 
the biggest ship. There are other really appealing ship, you know, come there's seven guys, you know, seven attractive men comprise the cast of that show. It is not a surprise that there are a lot of ships, but that is, I think the big one. It's, it's, it's the most pervasive ship on the, sh on the, in the fandom. Um, and there's just, and it was something about the chemistry between the actors, but also the way it was written for them. And it's just like, oh, hello, I know you. And it, it was that sense of knowing that almost came through the screen. And there are other times when we see that with, yes, um, Will and Hannibal were like that. It was like the minute they were on screen together, it was like, okay, those two, they just, they're right on, they're right together on screen. Um, well, I think that the fact that, the, that, Mads and Hugh had worked together in the past and they had a really good working relationship and friendship and they have so much chemistry translated onto the screen in a way that transcended their characters. And it's just like, and then, and then, and then once it was there, you couldn't unsee it. Yeah. And it didn't matter about his unfortunate eating habits. Right. Um, <laughs> we all have our it, problems. And the funny thing, as much as I have, I do really appreciate the, what eventually became of the chemistry between um, the reboot Kirk and Spock, the instant chemistry was better between the original Kirk and Spock um, to me. Like from the minute they were first on screen together, I thought that they're, the chemistry between Leonard Nimoy and, um, William Shatner was really good. Uh, and whereas I didn't really feel that way the first time for the first half or so, uh, maybe first two thirds of the first Star Trek reboot. I was like, nah, it's okay. It, it's I, for, I was like, it's not as good, but eventually I was like, okay, I, I bought it. I'm bought in. Um, I think it's really interesting because it's obvious that the two actors are actually, you know, really compatible and seem to be very friendly with each other um, mm -hmm. and, and hang out. And so to see that kind of um, separation in them, in the in, in the reboot, it was really interesting to see them come together and and have that moment of synergy happen, where they stopped being hostile with each other and found a common goal. Like yeah, one of my was... favorite moments in that movie is like when Kirk is giving him a chance to give up the dude and Spock's like, no, not really. <laughs> yeah. I, I, thought you, I thought you'd appreciate that. He's like, no, not, not no, really. Not, not really. Um, <laughs> and the thing is they, they eventually got on the, the same page and they eventually had really good synergy, but and it was good character dynamics that they were so at odds at first. I, I didn't have a problem with that from a character arc perspective, but in terms of them, like the, the instant compatibility on screen, the, that kind of that instant sense of these two, have good synergy. It wasn't there for me at first in the reboot. Um, but some characters, I mean, cause like, um, not everybody's seen 911, but for 911, Buck and Eddie was like that. Um, from the minute they took that grenade out of that guy's abdomen, it was like, okay, these two are going to be best friends for life. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> Boom. There we go. Was it a leg? I thought it was in his abdomen. Oh, well, whatever part of his body that, oh, it, the firecracker thing was a different show. Somebody had a firecracker un, unexploded in their abdomen. Oh, well, you know. It all starts to merge. Unexploded I, things in people's bodies. I can't bodies. let a pun pass me by, Shadow. <laughs> Boom. There's a scene in Hawaii Five-0 where um, Danny has, is that, 
does he have a bomb on him? Is there a bomb? And he's telling Steve to leave. And Steve is like, no, nah, dog, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm right here. I'm right here. One of them has a collar and one of them had a vest. I don't think I've seen that episode. Um, Hawaii Five-0 irritated me very quickly, though. So I, I either I, could, I blocked it out or I just missed it. We can um, find it later on YouTube. Um, I really like, I like a lot of the characters individually, but sometimes their dynamic together drove me bonkers. Um, there's also a scene in Stargate Atlantis where um, it happens during the shrine when Rodney is um, losing his um, mental facility faculties to a uh, almost said facilities faculties to a parasite and him and John are sitting on um, the pier and he tells um, John that he'd like to say goodbye now and John's like no no never <laughs> you're not no, that's just no. <laughs> it, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I like it when you have those moments of those moments of really intense synergy between the char characters. Um, what's even better is when that synergy is in every episode. That is, or every time they're on screen together. Maybe not every episode because not every character is on screen. You know together every episode but every time they're on screen together that synergy's there so like for instance um i get like when you watch some of some some of ncis i get why gibbs and tony became a big ship i get it because they had some incredible synergy in some episodes um but that's like a tenth of the a tenth of them if of like the first five seasons and then if you take all the seasons they were in it's like you know hundredth of it <laughs> it's like it goes it dwindles quickly as that's energy um i mean you honestly could write it to be that um that gibbs resents how much he cares about tony so he turns on him yeah you could write it that gibbs had brain damage when he was in the explosion um yeah and he should never have come back to work I mean, he wasn't great in the third season, but he wasn't as bad as he was after the third season. Well, I think I think he probably did, actually. It's probably it's the most logical explanation. And he does get progressively worse over the years. Yeah. And he gets way worse after he's shot in, what is that, season 12, maybe? I don't remember. I mean, he just became a horror show between when he got shot and when Tony finally left. It was like he was trying to abuse Tony out of the agency. But whatever. Um, but I, but those moments of synergy they had, and even in later seasons, those moments of synergy were still there. It's just they were fewer and fewer between. But it's it's easy to see when you see those episodes. Like, if you watch them as an, as an isolated episode, it's just like, okay, well, I get people shipped this, right? And I shipped it for a while. Um yeah, we have some evidence of that. Yeah, yeah, you do. Um, <laughs> the big ass, big old long ass story, and and then I wrote one more story when I said I would never write it again. Um, so it's a it's a thing. Um, but you also wrote that story at a point in the canon where it was viable. Right, I would never write something with them getting together again later season. I, I mean, I've tried. I, I I did I did the latest I could possibly do one and even then i i feel like tony and i got tony and gibbs together in season eight in one story and i thought that was way too late actually it pushed my threshold 
but I, I'd wanted to write this dead air tag where they got together, but dead air was the impetus for getting them getting together. So I did that, but I'm like, and that thought that was like, I'm done with, done with this. Um, but then when I wrote these small hours, I really wanted them to get, um, that was set at the end of season two. So I don't have a problem with them really in, in see the first two seasons. I mean, Gibbs isn't, there's some things he does. I don't like in the first two seasons, but I can, I can kind of, yeah, death of silence. And I'm not fic teasing um, these small hours that actually just got back from beta. So that will be going up soon ish. Um, not till after the 12th though, because I'm waiting for the 2021 to finally get here. <laughs> <laughs> I have a threshold. <laughs> The only reason there happened any fic so far was because I had a deadline for the bang. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you see what Claire wrote? That's a being interesting. That's a complete that's an interesting AU. I mean, I did plot a horror AU for Tony once, um, Claire. So, you know, that's still sitting on my hard drive. I called it the horror AU because, you know, it's a it's a it's, you know, where prostitution is a noble noble business sort of like you know in firefly um i'm here for it but in my head i call it the horror you i wouldn't actually name it that because you know i would <laughs> just totally would <laughs> that's right dark <laughs> it is it's in a folder called horror you but i still just like just like react um, is in a folder called Come to Jesus Meeting. It's not actually what that series is going to be called. I actually don't have a series name. I, I gotta, I'm still noodling on it. Um, sometimes working no, I, titles are um, insidious. Have, have I lost my mind? Um, was there prostitution in Ties That Bind? Because I don't remember writing it. Well, it may not have been on I mean, screen, but did you, talk, honestly, did you talk about it? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember the, the that level of detail. Well, not on screen, but did you mention? Uh, I know Desert has reread Ties That Bind way more than I have. Oh well. Oh no, they're definitely not prostitutes. No, they're not prostitutes. Um, I don't think um that prostitution would be illegal in Ties That Bind. Um, but I don't think it would be a profession that people would um be proud of um because paying someone to submit to you is like a deep it, it, it would be considered a deep insult that you that you that you have to pay for that that you couldn't earn it it's just my personal opinion you know having written it <laughs> oh well no that's gross tim <laughs> no that's, that's not what that is at all um the intricacies of of ties that bind and the training mechanisms, um, you kind of you gotta think of like Desaad and La Petite more as more like kink college. I mean, I'm down for that kind of continuing education. Um, <laughs> we know I mean, what you're down for, Jillian. <laughs> We've have, already had that conversation. I have been to some classes. I have taught some classes. I have done the demos, but. I would be all in on full-on college. I'm just saying. <laughs> but no, I mean, I honestly think that prostitution should be legal. And I don't have a problem with prostitution. I have a problem with how unsafe it is for sex workers. Um, and uh, that 
it's so difficult to prosecute crimes against sex workers. Uh, and so, but um, in a world like Ties That Bind, um, that kind of work uh, would have a stigma because of the dynamics that take place between two people. And, um, and so honestly, paying for sex would be okay, but paying for submission would be, I think, taboo. Unless it was like therapeutic and probably, but you probably, that probably supervised or something. I'm just trying, like thinking through the ramifications of somebody. With some I think of. if you are like a, if you needed that, that kind of therapy, you'd probably retreat to something like La, La Petite Mart. You would take a session. Yeah. That, that's what happens to Ford. He goes back to earth for training um, because he can't stay in his own lane. So if there were prostitutes, they could be like, hey, do you just want to, you know, I, I'm a switch. Do you want to just bang or do you have something else in mind? And they could negotiate their kink, but they wouldn't be paying for the kink is what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. I think that that would be, um, I think that, um, in fact, Rodney uses it, um, uses it as an insult. What? He insults Peter Kavanaugh by telling him that the only way he gets submission is if he paid for it. I don't know. It's just, that, you know, creating a world like Ties That Bind was is a it's a huge intellectual exercise and um well the thing about submissions you can't really pay for submission you have to pay somebody to bottom for you because right it's because submission what you would be paying for would, would be the pretense of submission not yeah. actual submission which is you know I, which i would consider an insult which feels like the taboo part is pretending to submit Right, which is why I could see like a sex worker and being, being satisfied with the pre the pretense as well, like accepting that the pretense is is the pretense is valid. It it seems false, and yeah. Anyway, that took a that took a turn. Um, <laughs> it always does. Anyway, uh, we we support but, we we support safe sex workers in this in this house. Um, <laughs> It should be legal. But there it is be actually in the in um the the first BDSM AU world thing that I read was um the General and Doctor Shepherd by Xanthi, and um that was the uh, rough inspiration for ties that bind. Um, and in her AU, you could actually like a dom and a sub could create a bond. It was like a like a soul energy bond that would allow them to kind of. They kind of like there's a scene where Rodney is injured and John uses the bond to heal him. No, not his dick, but his actual um the bond. Like he touches the cut and this energy passes between them and he seals the cut with the bond energy. Yeah. I've only ever written one magical dick and that was in Harry Potter. But it was an actual dick made it was of magic, right? No, it was in blank space, yeah. Oh, wait, yeah, you, you're right. There, There's a magical dick in Darkly Little, too, but that's different. That's a magical strap-on. But in blank space, Harry has a dick made of magic, a second one. Yeah, a dick made of magic. I was like, there's a dick made of magic, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, it's literally a magic dick. <laughs> but yeah, so anyways... Uh, of course, you know, magical circumstances would allow you to create, uh, 
like a different kind of um, of soulmate bond as well. Like in Darkly Loyal, they are not soulmates, uh, but they create a magical bond called a trinity um, that's very similar to a soulmate bond. Well, but what... <sighs> That comes down to semantics, right? Um, does soulmate, what does soulmate mean? Does it mean your souls are mated or does it mean there's only one person in the world that your soul is destined for? Because if all it means is that you can form a soul bond to somebody, then soulmate just means the person your soulmate, your soul is mated to, which doesn't necessarily mean a singular person. So by that definition, Darkly Loyal could be a soulmate bond. Could be, yeah. It's all about like how you sort of define what soulmate is. Um, I had come up with, I'd worked on a soulmate concept that was based on not so much like, you know, the, the whole split apart thing or, you know, matching, you know, mirror souls or, cause there's a kind of like two different schools of thought about that. One is like two souls. Um, and one of them is one soul split. Right. So, um, but it was, the, the this split thing is Plato, right? Yeah. The split apart is Plato. Um, uh, but this was more of a concept of like um, compatible souls and that if you found, you know, you, you could have any number of people. So this would be a more un, like an unconventional conventional soulmate idea, which is that you could. So in the, I think I've talked about this at some point, although I don't think it was on the soulmates podcast, but I could be wrong. My brain is like leaks like a sieve, um, which was that people are born with a mark and the mark has a number of points on it you know, like two points, four points, nine points, you know, and you can only form a soul bond with somebody whose mark has the same number of points that your mark has. So it indicates kind of like where your soul is at kind of, you know, I guess through some sort of life progression or whatever. But anyway, you can bond, you can create a soul bond with anybody who has a mark and your marks don't necessarily have to match. They just have the same, same number of fixed points on it. Um, and, there, and then there has to be, I was like, well, what is the reason people would seek a soul bond? And it's because it gives them, in, in the way I plotted this, it kind of gave them an advantage. Like it gave them, you were a little bit smarter or you're a little bit more talented. Like whatever you're good at, whatever talents you had are boosted if you have a soul bond, that it actually kind of levels you up as it were. Um, I have no idea what an electron ring is. Um, <laughs> So it, you kind of level up as a human being if you get a soul bond. So people seek this out. They want to create a soul bond. Um, so by that measure, uh, they're soulmates. Once they're bonded, they become soulmates. But they were not destined for one another. So they are not the, it's not the classic definition of a soulmate. Um, so that's like a different way to approach. And in that, and that also makes it easier for people to, anybody who wants a soulmate could, could conceivably have a soulmate if they really wanted one. Um, because all you have to do is, you know, if you've got three marks, you've got three points on your, on your mark, like, you know, whether it's a, a some sort of triangle shape or a triskelly or whatever, whatever those fixed points are, you just have to find somebody else who's got three and they're compatible for you to have a soul bond with. So, um, so that was like kind of make me brainstorming a different way to approach the whole soulmate thing where it's not like the one person in all the world destined for you and you have to find them. Um, we were talking about this other idea the other night. I had another idea. Um, yeah, the, the, the dragon thing. Um, so we mentioned the dragon, they mentioned emergence um, An emergence. That's kind of like the Omega sniff out the, the one that's right for them. Um, 
And there are basically, in that case, it, it makes it plausible. It works because the numbers are small worldwide. Um, there are very few omegas. There aren't even actually all that many alphas. There's, there's a lot more alphas than there are omegas, but there aren't a ton. And all the alphas show up if there's an omega emergence. Like they all, if they're unbonded, they all show up. And then the omega sniffs out the one that they want. Um, like this is the one that smells right. So that one's not based on markets, based on smell. Um, my lady holder's just quick with the links. Um, <laughs> but another idea I had, we were talking about this, but I don't know if it was last night or the night before, um, was the idea that soulmate bonds form slowly that you don't know that you're with your soulmate until the mark appears when your souls have actually completed the bonding. You don't know what's happening. And uh, I just kind of got this picture in my head of like two people who've known each other for a while who were like best friends and like all of a sudden their soul marks bloom because here it is. Um, which is still taking kind of the more conventional soul mark trope, but taking a little bit of a different spin on it. I actually sort of, it kind of popped into my head, actually, probably because I just finished posting the 911 story of like Eddie and Buck just kind of sitting talking one day and all of a sudden their marks are there. You know, they've known each other for a couple of years and like all of a sudden their um, soul marks emerged very abruptly. <laughs> <laughs> soul marks are demisexual, yes. Yep, um, that makes a lot of sense. But it, Someone it, mentioned the, the last words on your, on your, on your body of your like the last words you hear are your the or your soulmates whatever um I, I read one of those once by by accident i i didn't know what i was reading i mean i knew what i was reading because i did read the summary and i did read the tags but i really didn't know what i was reading until the very fucking end of this story where um thorin is dying on raven hill and Bilbo is telling him the eagles are coming. The eagles are coming. And I he looks down and on Thorne's wrist for the words, the eagles are coming. And see, the thing is, if I could, I, if I could come through this, this, she mentioned the first time Kira mentioned this, this story, I went and read it and I regretted my life choices because it made me so sad. <laughs> and so if I could come through this headset right now and just throttle her. <laughs> But that is the point. It, it ruined me. It fucking ruined me because it's the first thing I think of whenever somebody brings that trope up and it ruined me. And it was just like, because I thought, I thought all the way to the end that it was, that, that it, that it was going to be okay, that it would be a happy ending, but it, but it was not a happy yeah. ending. No. Um, some people have, and that was the one where hobbits have the first word your soulmate says, right? But it's dwarves have the last words the soulmate says. Yeah. Is it right? Oh God. A different. Yeah. But, but I was already thinking about it because of what you said about growing into the soulmate, Mark. Like what if like they get all the way to the damn lonely mountain and Bilbo is getting ready to go in there to steal from a dragon and Thorne looks down. And he's got a mark. And he's never had one. Not for hundreds of years. And then he has one. And he. It could only be Bilbo. And Bilbo just walked into the mountain. To talk to the dragon. Yeah. I think he'd go after him. He's, I don't care what we he hired him for. <laughs> I don't care what you've been hired to do. You come back and after then, right now. 
<laughs> and then Thorin sees him slip on that ring and he's like, what did you just put on your hand? What, what, how did you disappear? Um, but I like the idea of, of um, because there is kind of like this, you know, what happens? To, you, I always wonder when I read soulmate stories, like you instantly know. I like them. I'm not saying I don't like them. I've read many a soulmate story of like the instant, oh, you're it for me and loved it. But I always wonder like, what happens when it doesn't work out? <laughs> what happens when you meet your soulmate and he's an asshole? Because you know, assholes have soulmates too. I actually need to write a story titled that assholes have soulmates too. I feel like this needs to be a thing. Um, well, you know, um, if, if everybody has a soulmate, then everybody has a soulmate, which means, you know, Hannibal Lecter has a soulmate. <laughs> his name is Will Graham. Enough said. Um, but what if you're, what if, what if you're, I mean, you can't account for life, right? So what if you're, you know, maybe you're just together from birth and maybe in your, maybe your last life you were happy together. Maybe the next one you will be too, but in this one, he's a dick and you want anything to do with him. So there's just a certain probability that's going to happen. Um, who is Mike Banning's soulmate? I'm going to have to ponder that like intensely. <laughs> For a very long time. Um, I mean, I don't need to fridge Mike's wife or anything, but she's kind of boring. <laughs> like they didn't do anything with her so it's super boring but i don't have a problem with her but you know um <laughs> i love the phrasing there dot <laughs> i mean that's shadow <laughs> i guess it's called shadow dot shadow's now my dot i've decided um it could be dot i could see dot and, and mike getting along very well Someone wrote me and asked me why Dot, why I called her Dot. And I was like, I don't know. Because the minute I could see if the character I knew her name was Dorothy Miller and everybody called her Dot. I just, I usually struggle with names, but I didn't with her. That just was her I, name. I have a crush. I have a crush on Dot. <laughs> I was pretty happy with Dot. And I was pretty pleased that, you know, I mean, I broke like all the fandom taboos about female OCs, right? And she's the main character, so, you know. And like... And she got to bang. <laughs> she got Booker. to bang Booker, yeah. A lot. <laughs> no, she doesn't have a maternal bone in her body. Um, except, with, except with Peter. Peter's Peter's her little boo. Um, but no, I thought people would be like, oh, okay. She, she, she wrote a female OC. I guess we'll deal with it. But you know, people really re received it really well, so that was really nice. Um... I mean, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but it's nice when what I'm going to do is well received too. <laughs> I um, I do like the idea of soulmates and having someone um who loves you, who sees your flaws and sees your mistakes and sees your successes and is proud and to be with you. I, I really enjoy that, that, you know, I don't believe in unconditional love. I don't either. I never have. Um, cause uncondi cause unconditional love is a recipe for abuse. It's like blind loyalty. I mean, just take the word loyalty off and just call it blind. It, it, it's not actually loyalty. I mean, if you're not actually putting any thought and any, if you're not evaluating the person you're giving your loyalty to, it has no value. And, um, you know, because it's like it's, it's like John and Rodney. You know, when I first started writing, um, John and Rodney, um, it was like John was like, Yeah, you know, he's he's brilliant and he's an asshole, 
and he's arrogant and he's love of my life. (laughs) Just like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's all that, but I'm here for it. (laughs) I am 110% here for it. (laughs) And I like that. I like the idea of, um, these two characters who, um, you know, there's a line, and I'm not sure if it's actually one of my published works or not, where John is telling somebody that, um, that no matter what happens during his day, at the end of his day, that Rodney's standing right beside him giving the universe the bird. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's the important part. He may be an asshole, but he's my asshole and he's perfect for me. Well, I don't, I never get the sense, though, that John is blind to Rodney's faults. Um, no, it's not like, no. It's not, it's not like he goes, oh, he's... he's, um, And John never acts like Rodney's faults are charming. So, you know, I mean, I think that's part of the writing a balanced character is that, um, that they have flaws. And it's not actually a flaw if everybody thinks it's cute. I'm just saying. No, it's a quirk when it's cute. And the thing is, is that John, you know, finds Rodney amusing when he's an asshole, but he's still an asshole. And he'll be like, yeah, yeah, he was a complete asshole. I I get why you don't like him, but I love him. You know? Yep. I get it. (laughs) It's not not actually my job to control him. You get that, right? (laughs) I am not the boss of him, believe it or not. Um. But I do like the I do like the idea of the soulmate marks coming into being. Um, it takes the pressure off of the soulmate search kind of idea, looking for your soulmate, running around shaking everybody's hand. Um, can you imagine a world where your soulmate is your soul soul mark is revealed by touch or whatever? And you just I mean that that could actually explain why we shake hands. I mean, I know why we actually shake hands, but. Um, but it could be a different reason for why people shake hands, right? It's like, because they needed to, med- that, that it was an evolution of touching to just, you know, touching everyone you met to see if your soulmate was in the group. It could actually be a whole thing. You walk into a coffee shop and you shake hands with everybody in line. I mean, how weird would that be? Actually, the more I think about it, I think that is the way it would go. I think it would be pretty common. So people might wear gloves to stop that, or they might have some indication that they don't want to be touched which would I would th- think society would have to respect. But I would think actually that everywhere you go, people would casual touch would be really very common in a world where your mark was revealed by touch. Um, this is actually giving me anxiety. <laughs> I know, me too. Because what? I, You're touching. <laughs> especially, it's, it's particularly right in, in, in the world where we don't want to touch people right now. But um, <laughs> But in general, even though I, I'm not an introvert, so I don't have those kinds of like social anxiety, any kind of social anxiety issues or shyness. But even then, but I am sort of a misanthropic on a on a good day. So um, I don't want to touch a bunch of people. I mean, walking into a coffee <laughs> shop and feeling obligated to shake the hands of everybody in line. And if it's a new coffee shop, yeah, oh, oh, yes, you got a new employee. Hey, dude. I mean, <laughs> like that's a that's a whole world of nope right there, right? <laughs> But that's probably the way it would go if you're in a world where your mark is revealed by a touch. If you're in a world where if you've got where you've got a mark, right? Like let's say you're looking for something with a matching mark. Um, 
there probably would be like dating sites that are actually not, it's not really like dating sites, but like soulmate mark registries um, where you upload like an, a picture of your mark. If you're interested in finding your soulmate and um, computers, you know, I mean, like, be like, thank fuck for technology because that would be a really interesting use of the Pony Express. Um, it's some, you know, <laughs> writers carrying around books of drawn out, drawn images, sketches of soul marks, trying to find people's soulmates. It, it honestly could have been the reason the service even began before the mail, before it was mail. It was that, it was that. And they just said, right. you know what, since you're going to be going over there to that town anyway, could you, could you carry this letter for me? <laughs> okay. Can you imagine the sadness? I don't want to make y'all sad, but can you imagine the sadness you had some rancher out somewhere in the middle of nowhere and a soul mark book comes through and they've got a mark crossed off. And what the mark crossed off means is that somebody it's this guy's client has died and he's marked them off of his book. It's their mark. It's their mark. There's my there's my mark. Why is it crossed off? Oh, they died last year. Sorry, man. Um, Why are you like this? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, so it's in the silence. Okay, is when the one finger salute. Yeah, and it's yeah because that's what you want, right? You um you want your apocalypse partner. <laughs> We all need a good apocalypse partner. <laughs> um, but I think there are some ways to, uh, I do think the idea of you just get to know somebody and your mark may form, it may not. Maybe you never quite get there in your relationship. I think it takes the pressure off, but it could also cause a huge spike in divorce because 10 years down the road, you've got somebody pissed off. How come our mark hasn't formed yet, asshole? Like, it's not just me. I'm not the only person in this marriage. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there could be whole grounds it for divorce. Literally two. <laughs> right? It could be whole grounds for divorce is our soul our soul mark didn't form. You got married and had a kid and your soul mark your soul mark hadn't formed yet? Most people wait. You young kids these days just so impatient. I would imagine, uh, I think if the mark can grow, I think it would imagine you could deny it. Like you could go like, no, I don't think so. But I don't know why you would want to. I don't know why you would want to do that because like if you've gotten so close with somebody, because like we're saying, it's sort of like the demisexual version of the soul mark. If you've gotten so close with somebody that this is what is, um, this has happened to you. Why would you want to walk away from that? You obviously care about this someone's person so much that this, this thing has happened. This basically your souls are reaching out for one another. I can't imagine why you'd want to walk away. Some people just don't do commitment. <laughs> Some people don't. <laughs> Well, I'm not, you know, <laughs> I thought I was here for this, but as it turns out, I'm not. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, but I think it'd be an interest. I, I don't know why. I mean, that would be an angsty twist on it if somebody decides to walk away from the soul mark. And I would think if you did, if you had started to form this soul bond with somebody and you walked away, I would think it would fade. Um, I think it would probably fracture if you cheated. Yeah. A scar. Yeah. It might scar if you cheat. I mean, you could do anything. Um, I think I would write it that it would fade kind of like it kind of, you know, but cheating could result in like, yeah, you could write cheating damages, the mark um, betrayal, betrayal of your soulmate of any, you know, any, any significant way. Um, well, it's really betraying your soulmate. You're betraying part of yourself as well. Mm -hmm. So, 
I, I think that would be an interesting way to approach a different spin on soul marks. Um, I do think marks are a little bit more for me. I've read some red string ones that I think are interesting. Um, the red string bothers me from like a fundamental point. Like, I know they're not literally strings, but how come they don't get tangled up? They trip over things. And it's just... Because they're not, well, they're not really there. Nobody else can see your string. But it bothers me from a, you know, I mean, I can't deal with a little piece of paper fluttering off in the corner of my vision for five seconds. I couldn't deal with a little red thing, you know. I mean, just, if you could always see your line. It would drive me bonkers. I'd play with it. I'd be like, look at it. <laughs> you would. You would. And that's probably a healthier habit than some of the things people play with. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some things you shouldn't pull on any more than you absolutely should. Any more than absolutely necessary. And everybody who thought penis, that is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> as often as I tell people to suck my dick, I don't actually have one. <laughs> well, I don't have a real one. <laughs> She's got plenty of dick. Um <laughs> No, but don't point like earlobe. I've talked, I've mentioned on the podcast, your earlobes are stretchy. If you've got a nervous tick to pull on your earlobe, don't do that. You will stretch <laughs> it, you will, you will stretch it out. And usually people only pull on one. And you, <laughs> people will wonder you why, you've, why you've got one low hanger. <laughs> and believe me, everybody, <laughs> everybody will wonder because it's not like it's in your pants, it's on your head. <laughs> Again, I ask you, why are you like this? <laughs> I have worked with some unusual people. And some people have an interesting nervous twitch where they tug on their earlobe earlobes constantly. One earlobe. I'm like, could you switch? You need to switch the other earlobe for the next 15 years, and then you'll be good. Uh, <laughs> It'll even out. I actually do twirl my hair. So I'll have a fat curl in my hair. From twirling it on my finger. I can see myself doing that with a string if I had one. A soulmate string. <laughs> but strings. I uh, Strings are kind of. They're, uh, you get I, I It works for me better than some concepts in some ways. In the sense that. How would we go a different route with the strings? Because we're trying to talk about like different kind of ways to approach this. So. I guess for me the issue is. It's, it's pretty straightforward. But it's a little dull. Um, for me the way I usually see it. Um, we discussed that whole seeing color thing before in a different podcast. Um, what bothers me about seeing in black and white until you find your soulmate is that there's never any, there's hardly ever a moment where your character is like, oh, so that's what purple looks like. Or, I, I just what's actually, this color? I find it depressing. I just, I don't, that's actually one of my least favorite soulmate tropes. Not the least favorite, but it's one of my least favorite, but just because. It it feels so joyous when you're reading it, like, oh, neat, they see in color finally. I'm like, how are these people not running around, like, offending the fuck out of the people who have their soulmates with their weird mismatched clothing? Does everybody dress in black and white? I mean, the color logistics for the, it just drives me crazy. I just, I sit there just my mentally wrapped around the axle on the logistics of how do you get dressed in the morning, you know? And I don't, but it's it, like, okay. It, so if someone comes along and labels your clothes for you, so you know what all the colors are, um, how can you trust them? Like, did they learn the colors properly when they got their soulmate? How do you know? 
Yeah, how do you, you how don't do you know. trust anybody? You got a world full of Dumbledore running around out there. It's just not right. <laughs> and also, I, I read one once where it was Bilbo and Thorin, and Bilbo is 50 years old when he meets Thorin. And I'm like, that is some bullshit. <laughs> he has spent half his life living in black and white. Right. But I mean, and the thing is, it's actually just, you. there probably would be that people would buy pre-soulmate clothes that are probably just in black and white, but, and they probably would gravitate towards prints. If you have, I have a lot of prints, but I just find it depressing. It just, I just find it depressing. Um, so I, I, um, I did read once, somebody tried to subvert that trope and invert it, where you lose your ability to see color when you meet your soulmate. I was like, what? That that I don't think that trope inversion worked the way I, you I hoped. Don't, I don't. It seems like a sacrifice to have to make. Yeah. Oh, here, yeah. let's just rearrange your entire worldview, literally. Um. Oh, and, and as a consolation prize, here is this asshole dwarf that's going to be cruel to you for the next year, and then may eventually admit that he has feelings for you as he lay dying, in a very obscure way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it is a little bit a trope. It's a little bit obnoxious. I agree. It is a little bit obnoxious to colorblind people that, you know, that meeting your soulmate is so wonderful that you can suddenly see in color. Ooh, that's an interesting message. Um, so it's not. It's it's. I guess it's it's that well, that one doesn't appeal to me much. I can't imagine what I would. I would actually. I can't. I can't imagine. I would never. Um, right with that particular trope. The, like I said the strings. I find a little bit more workable i just you know it, it would have to be i'm not focusing at all on the soul the soul matching element to go that direction i did read um a story once i can't remember the fandom because it was the mechanics that stuck out to me where every you, you had a countdown timer because we've all read the countdown timer you got a countdown timer to you meet your soulmate but usually it's a fixed number it's just counting down you just go about your life and um you, know, you go about your life and that number stays the same. Like, is that like everything you do is predestined, basically, is the message. Well, somebody didn't like that idea and they're like, I'm going to write something different. And they wrote a story where, depending upon the decisions you make in your life, the time, the timer changes. You go and get a bagel in the morning instead of, you know, going to get coffee and it adds two years onto you meeting your soulmate. And it's like, oh shit, I just fucked up. <laughs> and the thing is, it was interesting. It's an interesting exploration of, putting free will back into this this trope but it was also anxiety provoking because i was so fixated on the ramifications of this i'm like what happens if you turn left instead of right and all of a sudden your clock blanks out you're never going to meet your soulmate now if you turn around does it does it i mean what what is there any way to, to course correct people constantly checking in their, their countdown timer to make sure they've gone the right direction i would it, actually probably put something permanent on top of my clock so i could never look at it like just put a cuff on it and just because it, the idea of it constantly changing if you turn left or turn right or you oversleep one day or um and like what if you're like you're down to a, a fucking hour and you you get stuck at a red light and then it goes to 10 years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I just would think that um, I agree with you. I think you'd have to cover it to handle your anxiety. And it probably would be the way um, like there, you know, mental health professionals would, would recommend that you handle your timer is to not look at it that often. But on the other hand, how do you, 
at some point you'd want to know, am I totally off track of my life? You know, and you take your band off and you're like, holy crap, I'm meeting my soulmate in 45 years. I'm already 40. You know, what the hell did I do in the last year that caused this? So sometimes... Sometimes no, honestly, that, that is actually rage-inducing. You're right, Gnome. It's rage-inducing. I'd be like, can I get this shit cut off? <laughs> because I don't... Can we just cover it up with a tattoo? I never want to see this shit again as long as I live. I, I would think you start to hate your soul mark. Because um, opposed to just being a fixed countdown. Which the thing is, I actually found the fixed countdown kind of like... I, I Predetermination kind of bothers me. Like, you're going to... Nothing you do in your life matters because at this point in time, you're going to meet the person you're destined for. It's like... Ugh. Um, that kind of like mm, okay. I mean, it's it's not a bad trope as far as meeting your soulmate goes, but it still kind of is like a little. Uh. So I could see why somebody would want to subvert that trope a little bit. But the way I had read it subverted, it was super stress provoking for me, and like some people said, rage inducing. It was like, um, well, actually, I would imagine if you uh, I, because they're kind of mystical marks, I would imagine if you had an amputation that you would, your mark would move somewhere else because I don't think it's actually like that's Which my means interpretation. You probably couldn't cover it up permanently or cut it off, like have a skin graft. Right, you could um, like the closest to permanent would be like putting something on it that you you know cover cover it with a little blind person fabric. would have to have somebody else read it for them. If they all work the same. Yeah. and But can you then imagine you have somebody family member you're constantly asking, how's, what's my soul mark doing? It's just, it creates this, this situation where basically you've created a, a high, everybody in society has an, has heightened anxiety until they meet their soulmate. And, um, and sometimes you've done nothing. You've done nothing. You've done nothing but go about your day. You're sitting there in your chair and your number is at, two years and five minutes and then all of a sudden it jumps to 15 years and four minutes and that's not anything you did that's something your soulmate did and then you're pissed off and then you're mad at that motherfucker for the next 15 years we only had two years to go what did you do <laughs> it's like i don't know i went and got a bagel complete jerk it's like that soulmate au it wasn't the au it was on tumblr about how the first words your soulmate says to you will be on your arm and somebody was born with, oh my God, I can't believe Dumbledore died on their arm. <laughs> so they knew yeah. the damn, the, they got spoiled for Harry Potter before Harry Potter ever existed. Existed, yeah. That's funny. Um, is it a Teen Wolf one? Is it? I don't think, I, I don't think I've read that actually. Uh, but there are some interesting um, works, I think, with the word, the whole word thing. Um, because I do think if you lived in a um, world where, I do think if you lived in a world where it was the first thing your soulmate said to you, I don't think anybody would greet anybody with the word hello. Why would you? Um, that's just that's just a recipe for disaster. I mean, people, society would adapt to account for the whole trying to find the soulmate thing. Yeah, you'd probably pick some sort of weird phrase too. Um, so. When it comes to like taking a conventional, like a, a more typical trope um, and trying to subvert it or trying to come up with a different spin on it and kind of come up with a different angle, um, you want to make sure you aren't going into a place that will make your readers so anxious that they have to, to nope right the fuck out. Um, It'd be really interesting, like if... Um... 
we talked about tropes and like marriages of convenience. Um, it would be really interesting to like, you know, to have one of those stories where, okay, like I told my mom, I met my soulmate and she asked me to bring him home. <laughs> Except I haven't met my soulmate. So I need you to pretend to be my soulmate. <laughs> you know, I love those cheesy ass movies. So he goes home with yeah. her or he goes home with him and like, this is my soulmate. And they're like, oh, it's so cute. We'll plan the bonding ceremony. And they're like, what bonding ceremony? <laughs> We're going to have a bonding ceremony. Next thing you Wait, know, what? they're married. <laughs> this and this is not what we agreed to. <laughs> then they are cricket. actually soulmates. <laughs> That's not cricket. Um... <laughs> Hallmark. <laughs> Hallmark. Um, Hallmark soulmate movies. <laughs> your, your your first name is Meredith, really? But what really like that the whole John Meredith thing is like the the, the whole time John's like, why why is it Meredith? I'm gay. I'm so gay. I couldn't be gayer. Why is it Meredith? And then he finally meets Rodney and finds out that Rodney's first name is Meredith. Why? Why did your parents name you Meredith? What, what did you do? <laughs> I've had some really deep moments my whole life about this. There has been actual trauma. I have been worried. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with a vagina. I'm glad you don't have one. <laughs> I mean, I checked it out because I thought I was going to have to, but I was really hoping it wasn't going to go this way. <laughs> but I do think that there are some ideas that are easier to 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 take in different directions than others. Like soul marks, I think there's a lot more you can do with soul marks um, to kind of make them different. That is not, uh, that doesn't have ripples that are unfortunate. Like, or at least it's the anxiety ripples that really bother me. It's like, oh my God, I'd be so stressed out in that world. I don't want to be running around shaking everybody's hand. Hi, 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 hi. No. No. And see, I would consider myself extroverted, but I don't like people touching me. Yeah, I'm I'm an extrovert too, in the sense that I like I don't struggle with social anxiety, and I don't I don't have a problem with like most of the most of the introvert extrovert metrics. I you know clock in as an extro extrovert, but I don't really like being around people all that much. So you know, by that measure, not much of one. But I think that's more misanthropy than. <laughs> She's just an asshole. It's like y'all are all y'all. So y'all are just not worth my time. So. Not y'all, not you guys, but you know them, them, the 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 clown sock wearing people at Starbucks, who I hate. <laughs> the clown socks. Who the hell owns clown socks? They had fucking pom poms on them. Okay, <laughs> pom poms. And when she's sitting there bobbing her, she got her legs crossed. I don't want to know. I don't know people's socks. I don't go out in public and look at people's socks. That is not my thing. I have no sock fetish. But she's sitting there with her legs crossed and her, her, so her foot and her leg is, she's got her legs crossed towards me, which is very positive body language to have towards a stranger. I'm just saying she could have had her legs crossed toward the corner, but no. Um, and she's got her little pants are riding up and she's bouncing her leg in time to her music. And she's got fucking clown socks on, but little pom-poms. I'm like, I was hypnotic. And I was like, ugh. Look, people need to take care of their feet. It's really important. People saying. do need to take care of their feet, but they don't need to have clown socks on them. <laughs> it's I, I think it's actually really inappropriate that clown socks even exist. No argument for me. Um, 
I think that you know, coming into April, I'm gonna write a, a magical soulmate thing. I've I've already announced my project. You guys have probably seen it on my website. Um, and I've just uh, I have a whole big thing planned. I've I've already done my zero draft for all three books. Um, and um, I'm really interested in the idea right now. So I hope it doesn't fade. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I've I've you kept have, my interest through the whole thing of being plagiarized on AO3 recently. So, well, you needed uh, that story. I mean, that, that's the second time that somebody has plagiarized. Of course, the first time it was just like a hodgepodge. It was multiples uh, of your stories. Yeah, Frankenstein story. This, this, this was the full thing, but oh, um, Monty, it's right out there. Um. Reaper mentioned something about soulmates, where you get drawn to your soulmate if you're within a certain proximity, how you're led to each other as idiosyncratic. Some people string, some a tugging sensation, some gamers, like an HUD map leading, uh, you know, leading them to, you know, heads up display leading them, leading them to the their soulmate. Um, I like this. I like that, that trope in general. I find it's less problematic than some others where it's like a proximity alert. <laughs> <laughs> you you said proximity <laughs> alert, and all I heard was virgin alarm, virgin alarm, virgin alert, virgin alert. You weirdo. You, you know, um, baseballs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. But I still think you're a weirdo. Um, but I've I actually I'd had a one of the ideas I'm toying with for April is the proximity alert trope. We'll call it that. It's sort of like. Um, you get a sharp tingling sensation when you're like in a, or something, whatever it is, some sort of physical sensation when you're within a certain distance of your soulmate. And I would imagine when it happens, people kind of sit up and they start looking around and they've sort of both kind of jointly are kind of trying to like hot and cold with who is causing this sensation, but it figure it out pretty quickly because two people are sitting there in a crowd going, wait a minute, I'm tingling or whatever. Um, but I'm tingling. I like the tingles. Okay. Well, just, it, it doesn't have to be tingles. You could do something else. As Reaper pointed out, you could do this with the red string. It's like all of a sudden your string gets twitchy, you know. Um, it's been quiescent for your entire life, and all of a sudden it's trying to get some action. Off it goes. Um, but, um, and, and my idea of that one was that there's sort of like a critical situation happening at the time and neither person is in the position to notice that they are having a physical sensation at the moment that they initially kind of I'm tingling. <laughs> Can you imagine people going, oh, people freezing and crowd going, I've got the tingles. <laughs> I have soul tingles. <laughs> excuse me. Excuse me. Does anybody else, are anybody else having a little tingly feeling right now? <laughs> because I'm having a tingly feeling. <laughs> I am definitely having a tingly feeling. I don't think you could actually sleep through the tingles. I've, I feel like you'd wake up. But what if like, what if you tingled every night around one o'clock in the morning? Which means that your soulmate was driving past your house. <laughs> well, I would hope my soulmate would eventually notice and pause, you know, like step up, step on the brakes. They're and every night they're going a little bit slower, waiting for you to come out of the house, and you're thinking to yourself, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> you just stay in your car. I'm not sure. I mean, I felt I find it to be a pretty straightforward trope. I'm not sure how I would go in a in any kind of um unusual direction with that it is i do find it to be like a, a for me a non-problematic straightforward trope right it's like mm -hmm. and you could actually have it be even a fairly liberal distance so that people aren't constantly trying to get close to a bunch of other people 
um, like, I don't know, 20 yards or 30 yards or something. Night Reaper. Um, I wouldn't have it be an extreme distance, though, because there's no way you're going to find someone extremely far away from you. Um, I think a lot of people would end up being hermits. Um, because, you know, like I said, not everybody wants a commitment. <laughs> yeah. Although I would not want to write a story where one part of my soulmate bond was like, nope. Because... No, I did. I plot one. I did plot one of those um, where one side was nope, but he was nope, uh, nope on the concept, not nope on the person, which is different because it's one thing to me. Yeah. Oh, no. Another thing to just. So in this idea, it was a Tony Stark thing, which was that he had refused to uh, upload his or even search for his matching soul mark. He just kept it covered. He was not interested in remote at all. But Jarvis had enough autonomy to be like, maybe I should keep an eye out for Sir Soulmate. And he did. And so when Sir Soulmate uploaded his mark to a soul mark registry, Jarvis took that away. He locked that shit down. <laughs> He's like, nope. And Jarvis started keeping an eye on... And he didn't notify because he was instructed not to tell Tony ever about Soulmate. And um, But the way I plotted the story is the story was a lot the Soulmate and Jarvis because Jarvis eventually became friends with Tony's Soulmate. Um, keeping an eye on him. And um, and then when Tony is, um, the way I'd plotted it, when Tony is, and it was, with, it was, it was Tony Denozo, you know, because that's my preferred ship actually for Tony Stark these days, because there's just not really anybody in canon that works as well for me. But anyway, um, in the MCU canon. And um, so Jarvis had really a, a good understanding of Tony um, Denozo's, um, skills and when tony stark disappeared um he was kidnapped he was kidnapped um jarvis went to tony denozo and said i need your help i need you to find him doesn't tell him why or even who he is and tony denozo has no idea that jarvis isn't actually a a physical bodied person um but you know it's it, it wound up being kind of I like the idea conceptually. It, it's still kind of rattling around in my head. I have some stuff to flesh out about it, but it wasn't really a good fit for, for um, April because I feel like the story is really more of a bromance between Tony Tenozo and Jarvis. And then Tony Stark eventually gets on board at the end. <laughs> sort of like not really what the challenge was about. Cause it's not, you know, it'd be like Jarvis, did you court my soulmate? Well, you were going to met my soulmate. <laughs> Well, you weren't taking care of business. <laughs> <laughs> I had to do what I had to do, sir. Um, I like the idea of of Jarvis as a character having a lot of autonomy and just doing, just living his best life. <laughs> yeah, I actually then it kind of went off on a mental tangent of Jarvis having a soul, and then Jarvis having a soulmate, and who would that be? But that kind of rat holed quickly. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where you would go with that. Yeah, exactly. Where would I go with that? I said it rat holed quickly. No. Oh my god. I feel, like I feel like I need to put all of you in the corner. Yeah, it could be an AI on Atlantis. That could be an interesting idea. Except that I would never Sir, write I've met part. my soulmate. I'll have to go to Pegasus. I'll be back in a while. 
Except I would never write an MCU Stargate crossover, so that doesn't Unless there was no Stargate, which it rules Atlantis. So, <laughs> I mean, I would Unless Atlantis never left Earth. Well, that's possible. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that could be. Yeah, but there couldn't be any Stargate program. The issue is, the issue is, I would never write um, an intact Stargate program, um, and with the MCU, I would never do it. I, that, that's two big secrets that don't work for me. Um, that's a good question. How do AIs recognize their soulmates? I would actually think it would be if I was going to do like a Mark-based thing, because I was actually thinking about it in the same universe. I'd probably have a Mark start to form in his code that he couldn't explain. Because his, when you look at, when you see Jarvis, his code is very visual. You're like, Jay, what's the, what's this, what, it, what is this? What is this? Looks like a mark, sir. Um, and it was just an interesting, like, tangent out of, you know, Denozo and, Jar and Jarvis having a little bromance around uh, Jarvis calling him periodically for years. Actually, my idea, <laughs> my actual, <laughs> Actually, my idea was that Jarvis calls him because anytime he thinks Tony, you know, Denozo is getting in trouble, that he's in danger, Jarvis tries to intervene because he feels like it's his duty to protect um, Sir's soulmate as well as Sir. So he calls and he will say, give him information. And, and Tony's confused about this, you know, benefactor of information. Um, and it also would, his interactions, I think, with... I'll just use Dom to keep from the confusion. His interactions with Dom, I think, would um, speed up Jarvis's autonomy as well. So, yeah, I don't think Ziva would have lasted long at all with Jarvis keeping an eye on on Dom. So, um, it would change things a lot for Tony's trajectory. So, I also think it, I also think that idea would be if I actually ever got to the soulmate part of it, it would be a much bigger project than the april challenge and probably more than one story like multiple probably multiple novellas because i would write the jarvis and you know dom kind of bonding part and then eventually tony stark gets his head out of his ass and realizes that having a soulmate might not be a bad thing but um but that was a pretty straightforward you're born with a soul mark idea and you upload it hey technology's great you upload it to the internet and your soulmate if they're registered you know this company sends you both an email and say hey you're a match and you meet and decide if you hate if you hate each other or not, and maybe you want to date. Um, and it, you know, because of the advent, once you had the advent of the computer, you know, it could be that people just decide when they're ready to meet their soulmate, and they upload their mark and wait for their soulmate to be ready to meet them. So, it, it like I say it's pretty straightforward. It's not a particularly unusual trope. Um, oh, he totally would. That's exactly what he would do. Is I've, that's exactly what I envisioned. Ellie is that. When Tony goes missing in Afghanistan, as Jarvis calls Denozo and says, calls Dom and says, I need you to find Tony Stark. And actually, I kind of conceived the idea that Jarvis had kind of helped Tony, fi Dom, find his ambition a little bit. And um, Dom has like changed his, car his, his career um, trajectory by quite a lot. And so he's not just, by that point in time, he's definitely not just a senior field agent at NCIS. So. Because all that needs to really exist for Iron Man to still exist is that those plans be drawn up and that the arc reactor be made. Tony Stark doesn't need to go through the entire experience. So being rescued by his soulmate is not a bad thing. I like the idea a lot. I think it would make a really fun like episode series. Mm -hmm. 
it's just not a good fit for April, which if this was the first thing I plotted for April, it's just not a good fit for April. So I put it aside and started focusing on other ideas. And right now I am favoring the demisexual soul marks right now. <laughs> that name is going to be stuck in my head. Um, who, who, uh, who are we blaming for that? I think it was Dark that said that. Okay. I called it that. Was that you, Dark? We have to know who to blame. Yeah. I think I said, I, I'm kind of favoring that Credit. idea. Yeah, we'll, we'll credit dark. I've kind of favoring that idea. Um, <laughs> just because I, I, I've, I've never read a story. I've never read that trope. It, it may exist, but I've never, I've never read it. And it sounds interesting to me. Um, is the relationship is there. And then all of a sudden you've got a soul mark and you're like, Hmm, what do we do now? Um, but there are some other interesting um, soulmate approaches that I hadn't considered, like the dyad. I really like the way you pulled the dyad into Stargate. So, I mean, that could certainly be something that could be pulled into other fandoms. It gets, I think it's other sci-fi fandoms it's or fantasy fandoms. It's not the easiest thing to, that could be a fascinating one in The Hobbit. I'm still, wor I'm still, it is still a rough draft. And I feel like I didn't, deliver on my idea the way I wanted to. But it became an issue of like believability for me. If like I personally didn't know what the limits were on on how that would work and um what the and what the cost would be. And so I did what I did. I haven't read your most recent but I still feel like I I haven't read the most recent set of posts because I was cramming to, f to fix my problem with my reverse bang story, but um, I'm looking forward to it. So I'm, I'll be curious to see now that I know that you feel like you haven't quite, didn't quite get there with your concept. I'll be curious to see. Well, I mean, I've already done that part of the, of the, of the whole deal. Um, and I haven't really explored it since. Um, I just, I don't feel like I delivered the way I wanted to deliver. I had an idea in my head that, that didn't work out, but I still like the idea of the dyad being used in this fashion. I just don't think I got there with it. It's, a, think, you know, it's it, like, you're your own worst critic. Yeah. Always. Yeah, always. I mean, I rewrote a story two days before it was due. So, you know, um, that's a mood. Well, I, I, when I plotted the story, I, I was have one character who was bisexual, and one character who was in this this last story I posted. One character was bisexual, and one who was ostensibly straight but bi curious before he got married, and then there'd just been his wife since he'd gotten married. Well, actually, that's not the way I did it originally. That's the way it wound up. That was the end game. That's what I posted was that but when i plotted it i invert i had it backward i had it the other way the bisexual character was the one who was married and the bicurious character was the one who was single and i was like it kept not coming out right when i wrote and i kept inverting it like inverting the opposite of my plot because it wasn't gelling for me mm -hmm. and all of a sudden i went i gotta switch it because it's just not working i gotta i gotta i gotta go back to the drawing board and i've got to fix this which means i'm going to have to to edit the fuck out of this for continuity to make sure, because that's a big change to change which character is openly bisexual. Yeah. It's and huge. which character is straight. And it required, it, it felt like a rewrite. It didn't even feel like an edit. It was, it was a nightmare. So anyway, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I just, it wasn't working for me. And that was, I don't, I don't know if that was 
truly that it wasn't going to work the way it was or if I was just being my own worst critic, like you said. So, but yeah, we are our own worst critic and it's, well, you know, last year I hated my April story. I hated it. Um, but I read it recently and it's not terrible. Which was your April story next year? I can't remember my own April story last year. So, you know, um, John comes online during the, um, Janai invasion and Sumner is still alive. And it started with it. Um, yeah, it was a decade ago, right? Because April was so long ago. It um it starts with John in the shower, and Sumner comes to see him while he's in the shower. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I'm I'm gonna post it soon, probably. Well, it needs to be baited. Um, so I it'll probably end up in your inbox, Lady Holder, if you're in the mood for it. Um, but uh. <sighs> I mean, I, that's the way I was about these small hours. I finished it, and I, mean, I hated that story. I hate, I hate, I hate every word of that. That's why I didn't touch it for so long. I mean, it was done, and then one day I was like, "I wonder how bad that is, and if I could rewrite it to be something else." So I had, felt like I had to read it to determine it, its rewritability, and um, I read it, and I went, "This isn't awful." I wonder what mood I was in when I finished this story. <laughs> well, what the mood that you were in was is that you no longer ship Gibbs and Tony, right? Um, Right, but you plotted yourself into that hole before you ever started writing. Yeah, but um, and I, and I think that in the end result, I actually think is really good. It's just it was, I, and so my thought was I'll rewrite this for a different pairing. But then I read it and I went, I can't rewrite this for a different pairing. It doesn't make sense. Which is why you ended up with the pairing that you had. Right, <laughs> nothing else made sense. sense. <laughs> I should have. So it was, it was. It was either. It was either make it Jen and get the romance out of it entirely or um, plot a different story. And I really liked that for whatever reason, I really wanted to go with that story. And you know, sometimes you just get in your own way. But when I read, reread the story after months of thinking it was crap, I was like, this isn't awful. This is the story where Tony ascends during the plague incident. For those of you who read that on off trade, it's one of the few stories lately I've actually finished during rough trade. So, um, but yeah, I reread it and I went, huh, that wasn't awful. Actually, it was pretty good. And weirdly, the cleanest writing I think I've ever done. I, I could barely find any mistakes and it was my rough draft. So I was like, this is, actually, it pissed me off that probably the cleanest thing I've ever written, cleanest draft I've ever written was something I didn't have, wound up finishing not feeling good about it. But whatever. I didn't feel good about any of my writing last year. Um no. It was it. yeah. It was it was terrible. It was it was terrible. It was terrible. Although I went back and reread the beginning of my Tony Rampart story, and I really liked it. So I think that's probably the one that I'll wind up finishing first of my random fragments of story. Um, it's just I think the Sentinel Guide thing started. I have started having problems with it last year, and um, the pandemic ruined the year of the Sentinel for us. It Let's did. put it out there. <laughs> I liked your Tony Chris Larry too. That was a good high point. Um, um, I did like what I did in November. I just, a lot wound up happening that got very stressful that made writing difficult. Of everything I wrote last year, I was the happiest with November. Um, but that was because I let my id off the chain and let Mike Banning do whatever he Be wanted. Be Mike Banning. <laughs> And he's not even the main character in the story. But, you know, I just, you put a Mike Banning in and let him blow shit up and kill people and it's going to get better. 
it's going to be it's going to be good. Um, but last year, and then I think also one of the reasons why I'm struggling with plotting a little bit an, a soulmate story for April is because I feel like, in a way, that I feel like I had a whole year of soulmate stories that I failed at. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, because mm. especially Desiderata, I wrote very much a soulmate vibe too. Um, and um, the one I totally bombed in um, April was definitely soulmate-ish. Um, the two in the summer that I didn't make great traction on either weren't as much but it's still because of the way i tend to approach that one guide it has a little bit of a soulmate feel um so that's why i'm kind of looking for a different approach a little, a little than oh you're my one destined person let me climb on you right now is because it feels a little like everything i bombed with last year so that's why we got to talking about like what's a little bit of a different way to approach the soulmate thing and that's why i think i'm looking to kind of do something I guess probably why the first thing I plotted for the soulmate thing was one where the two main characters never got together. And then I went, well, that's really probably not a soulmate story if, you know, if it's just Jarvis running interference for the two of them. Um, and then I thought I need to just kind of figure out what's bugging me about this. And then I thought I need to kind of, and that, that's why I thought maybe I just need to kind of play up the romance more and less predestiny. Um, which was where the demisexual soul marks came from. And if anybody is wanting to use that concept or any of these other concepts that we're talking about, you go right on ahead. If it will help you in April, you should do what you need to do. I honestly, I'm kind of worried about April. I mean, I mean, I've done my, my zero draft and I'm really interested in my story i'm i'm in a um place where i'm very comfortable writing but last year was just so shitty yeah <laughs> it was so bad on the writing front that i feel gun shy like really gun shy um in a way i haven't been about writing in a long time i mean it was like the the two stories I just posted, which I think maybe the first things I've posted in a year or more. I don't remember when I posted Demons, actually. I think Demons was the last thing I posted. But um I I was I was like the minute I saw the art, like I told myself I'm never doing another reverse bang if I'm not really solid on my concept before art. Like I'm not doing another like I'll come up with an idea because I think it's pretty. Because sometimes that has really backfired on me. Like, I'm like a week from the deadline. And I'm scratching my head going, I have no idea what I'm going to write. I'm like, I told myself I'm never doing that again. So when I saw the art that I was that inspired um, The Dark Road, I knew the minute I saw it that that, I knew what I wanted to write. I mean, the story was like, it bloomed full-blown in my brain the minute I saw it. Um and despite that, despite being so solid on it and having such a clear vision for the character and such a clear vision for her relationship with Peter and exactly how that story would go down, I, and I had to make some tweaks because I had some stuff in it that made Dot a little too immoral. <laughs> she was, she was pretty immoral in my, in my plot uh, initially and I had to make some tweaks, but other than, you know, dialing her down a little bit, um, I, I still didn't. I felt about that like I felt about everything I wrote last year when I was writing. Nothing feels good. Nothing feels, you know? Yeah. 
mean, when it was done, I went back and reread it. I went, oh, okay. Okay. It's not as bleh as I thought it was, which is how I felt about it when I got to the end. I got to the end. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be so boring. Um, Because everything feels so meh. And, and I don't know how to, that's the way I felt about everything I wrote last year. So, and I don't know how to break through meh. I mean, when I you're arguing with the person you live with about who gets to go to the mailbox. I know. <laughs> it is my turn. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't post anything. I don't think I posted a single thing for more than a year. So, but that's, and, and it's not like I don't have stuff that's done that could have been posted. Um, these She's small just hours sitting on a whole fuck ton of oh, stories dude, over I there. Am. I really am. It's, it's sad. It's sad. Um, but it's just, it's so this. I feel so meh about everything I wrote last year, about everything I wrote recently. And sometimes I even feel really meh about my ideas. I'm like, I think that's a good idea, but I'm not a hunt. I, I don't know. It could be as meh as everything else lately. Um, thank you, Vickage. I appreciate that. Um, I, I was, I stumbled a lot, but when I hit my quantum bang, you hit your, your quantum bang. You took, you on that like gangbusters. It was, it was amazing. I, Y'all, I love soon. it. I, soon. Lo I love it so much. I'll tell you through the art claims, at least she'll be, she'll be able to tell you the fandom. Um, but I find it's just it's it's an interesting it's an interesting headspace to try to work past. Um, and in a way, when you work past it and you keep writing and finishing it, is you're counting on a lot on your creativity and your skill, like. And then, and then give it a minute and go back and read it and try not to be hard on yourself. And that's, I think that's the hardest part. It's like, do what you know how to do. And then, because you do, I mean, you know how to do it. Do what you know how to do. You got a good concept. Go execute on it. And then give yourself some space and then go read it. But it's just really hard in the moment when everything just feels bleh. I felt awful about those stories I wrote everything I wrote last year. And then I go back and reread them. And I go, I get Equinox. I was like, how did I botch that Tony Randolph Rampart story so bad? And then I went back and reread it. And I go, this is, I didn't botch that actually. There's you no, just I didn't finish it. <laughs> oh, there's, one or, there's one or two things that I would like to like tweak, but that's like, that's minor editing stuff I would tweak anyway. Um, I just, you know, needed to keep going. And, but I just felt so blah about the whole thing. Um, so... I don't even know what I started writing in July. I started writing something in July. I did the Stargate one. No, I mean, I had two stories. I didn't actually start the Hannibal one. I had another one that I started. I had two stories for um, July. Um, yeah, you got distracted by something. Um, I got distracted by my quantum bang. Was that what you, was that div what diverted? Yeah, yeah, that was what diverted you from your, Yeah. You, because you were going to start on the Hannibal story, and you just got to going on this other thing, and then like you didn't come up for air for like three months. You would like said, and you would kind of like drawn a line in the sand. You were going to, you know, set it aside by the time November came around, so that you could um, work on work on your nano. Um, it was the Star Trek Wolves one. It was the House of Wolves, which I was really enjoying, and then I got 
Oh yeah, you were in, you were you had started that, and then it just you got really distracted by. And I I know why you got distracted because I got distracted by your quantum bank too. Um, <laughs> so I was enjoying reading your quantum bank more than I was enjoying writing my rough trade. <laughs> and normally, normally my normally my rule of anything is I do my writing and then I read. So whatever I'm trying to do, that's usually my rule of thumb. Whatever writing I'm trying to get done for the day, I do it first, and then I read whatever posts have gone up that I want to send. Kira's got, you know, something that she's finished on her quantum band. You want to read it? I'm like, God, yes. Give me anything that will give me an excuse not to work I mean, on this. This is ridiculous. I just opened it. I was 16K and do a 25K challenge. Y'all. You got distracted. You got hard distracted. And I, I understand why. I got hard distracted. Sometimes an idea sucks, sucks, you, sucks your brain out, and you just got to go with it. You just got to go with it. Sometimes you can just kind of go, I'm going to focus over here. Sometimes you can work on two things at once. And sometimes something takes all of your attention. That's just, that's just, the, that's just the way it goes. Now, I mean, my anxiety isn't around my writing. It's, um, it's, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but it's me doing everything I can to keep myself safe and my family safe um, during this situation and having other people not do the fucking same. Yeah. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> I stay at home so I don't end up in prison. <laughs> mm-hmm. I had a whole conversation with a friend of mine who was really depressed about just in general, just vaguely depressed and kind of explained why I thought she might be depressed. She was like, Oh yeah, you're right. That is it. And it is about people not doing what they should. The bare um, minimum. Yeah. The bare minimum. And like I said, I don't want to go off. I don't want to have a tangent. But I'm going to say this one thing. Cause it helped her to kind of, at least for her, that this helped her to kind of put a pin in why she was so unhappy. And I think a lot of people have unfairness triggers. Like we see something unfair in a story or we see something unfair in a canon and we really latch on to it. Like we were having a conversation in one of the fandom channels about a character who is the butt of jokes, just a little bit meanly. And man, we really don't like that. It's unfair. And um, we really kind of feel like that, that there should be some sort of level setting, that there should be consequences for people who, you know, that there should be a resolution to things that are unfair. And the thing is, is that there's not going to be any resolution to this unfairness except to just accept it. Because it's going to resolve for the people who did the right things and the people who didn't do the right things in the exact same way at the exact same time. And it sucks. And that's just the way it goes. In fact, some of the people who didn't do the right things are line jumping. Isn't that great? Um, yeah. Which piss makes the unfairness thing even worse, and nobody is doing anything about it. And that makes it just, it just kind of doubles down on this sort of sense of, like, unfairness and betrayal and this kind of impotent rage that you can't do anything with. And then you're just sort of like, um, what do I do with these feelings? And they just have nothing you can do with them except be angry. And then that's not very constructive. So you know, it's not constructive. So what do you do? And that as, as creative people that can have a huge impact when you are sitting on festering emotions like that, especially on, it can make you depressed. It can make you anxious. It can make you just feel kind of blah. Um, it can make, you know, whatever, whatever, however, those kinds of festering emotions affect you. Um, 
But however you resolve those things, and this is what I said to her when she and I had this conversation, was however you resolve the fact that it's unfair, it sucks, it's going to be unfair, there's nothing you can do about it, no one else is going to do anything about it either. We have to take the little justices where we can because these assholes are not going to face pretty much any consequences for their actions. That's just the way it goes. And whatever you have to do to make peace with that is what you got to do. Um, you need to hide in your blanket for it for a couple weeks and watch, you know, you know, take it your favorite feel good TV shows and binge them until you feel better about life. Um, then do that. You know, if you need to go, you know, rant on a, on your blog or rant on your Facebook wall, go do that. Um, whatever you gotta do to get it out of your system, do it because the resolution you're hoping for an actual tangible resolution ain't, ain't coming. And the thing is, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could go read Salty um, MCU fic, but the saltiest fic is in MCU, honestly. I was thinking the same thing. Um, for good reason. Team Iron um, Man. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Team, team Iron Man, it's sometimes too salty. It's like, ooh, that's... I don't mind salt with a little bitter, but this is more well, a lot bitter. You just build yourself a fucking mountain. <laughs> right. This is a lot bitter with a pillar of salt, right? So, it... You know, you guys got to do figure out what you got to do to get that out. And it may just take time, it take time and distance. Or maybe you'll be one of those people who could meditate your way out of it or do some yoga or go on a run. Or I don't know. I, I have I have like literally no advice to give on the 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 um, how to make peace with the unfairness of it all. But I do think that's why I'll, not everybody, but that's why a lot of people are struggling right now is because we see how unfair the situation is and that there's not going to be any no one's going to get to come to jesus meeting about this <laughs> nobody <sighs> read your comfort fic i don't know but for the people who are creative and are struggling to write around these feelings i would say i would say try to often what works for me is to try to channel these feelings into something that helps me exercise it in my writing i just i honestly haven't figured out how to do that yet with this particular problem um maybe parallel what might help is to write with the intention that no one ever see it but you. Yeah, you could do that. Which I don't have. I don't have a problem with writing for only me. The other thing you could do, you don't have to explicitly write this explicit situation. You don't have to write about you know the actual events. You could write a parallel to those events. You could write a unfair situation that actually does get resolved, where somebody does get their just desserts. You could write. Tony Dinozo hiring Harvey Specter to sue Tim McGee over that fucking book. You could do that. That could, um, you know, balancing the scales in fic could make you feel better. Or reading fic that balances scales for somebody else could help. I don't know. Um, yeah, but writing something just for yourself that nobody ever sees, you can break all your rules when you do that. Good night, Lady Holder. Um, so, you know, let's throw that out there into the void that it's not easy to feel this way. Um, and and to know that you don't have a good way of resolving it. And if you're in that boat, you have my sympathies. I'm in that boat, too. And surprisingly, for me, so far, nothing I've tried is helping all that much. I probably need to, you know, write some good revenge fic. I get so frustrated. Like, the other night, I was telling Julie that I, last year... I managed to write 
a little over 300k probably ish ish no more than that yeah I mean, yeah your, your your quantum bang alone is what like 240 no Close. no no sorry Close. i shouldn't have said the word shouldn't have said the word count um ish longer um, so it's somewhere it's somewhere i'm sorry i should not say the word count and then my mass effect fig is 76 and of course my lion is 76 so yeah i'm probably close to a half a million words last year actually now that i think about it plus your quantum bang when well, not quantum it, bang your your, your rough it, trade works that maybe whether they're finished or short. not still works yeah I'm, I'm i'm pretty close to half a million words last year and i told you the other night that i feel so fucking unproductive now, for reference, just to give you a reference that, yeah, so I probably close to a half a million words last year, um, give or take, maybe 20,000 words. Um, and I only have, my word count on my whole site is 3.2 million words on my whole site. That's not including the quantum bang from last year that I haven't posted on my website. Um, and I still feel really deeply unproductive. Oh, good. I'm glad. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Not that you feel unproductive. Um, <laughs> so I, I responded to something that she typed. Not, 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 I wasn't responding to it. <laughs> but so, like, you know, that's just a, I mean, you, you can't help how you feel. And maybe I would feel better if I had some of it posted. I don't know. You know, it's just like, it's not rational. You're right, Margaret. It's, it's. Hey, Margaret. It's you again. Well, emotions are, you know, feelings are not facts. I've actually put that in stories more than one time. Um, but they are feelings or impetus for action. The question is, what action are those feelings pushing you to make? Because, um, like, you know, I look at my goal. My big, my big writing goal last year was to get clear, start clearing the decks on these works that are basically finished that just need to be edited. I posted nothing for a solid year. Nothing. She, she kept writing. <laughs> well, I'm going to keep writing no matter what. But I had my my goal was to put some editing time in and get these stories that are done posted. Um, and yet I didn't do any of it. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing, honey. Closest thing I did to editing was these small hours, which I did in January. So, but that was still, I mean, I'm counting January still being 2020 because of the Lunar New Year. Because, you know, I'm not having that business from January 6th occurring this year. This, right? year supposed to be, this year is supposed to be a reset, not a, you know, double down on the fucked up. <laughs> Who double dog dared the universe? 2020. You need, you need to admit it. You need to fess up. Mistakes were made. But I do like the idea of um, kind of, in, in, although I've already plotted my entire year um, for, I'm really excited about writing a a story that takes place across all three events. I, and I love the concept of that, that you found a uh, uh, um, something that can pull you all the way through. I love that. I just really love it. It'd be fun if others did it with me. I'm just saying, it'd be fun. Um, but no pressure for anybody. No pressure. It would just—it's just—it's little—it's just really fun. The idea of of writing this big project across um, so many um, different challenges, and um, then and then ending it with something that I said I would never do. 
I know. I when when we talked about that and we realized that you needed to travel to the <laughs> where your time travel need to put you, I kind of laughed my ass off. Um, <laughs> but sometimes in Harry Potter, I've always done soul regression, like soul transfer back, um, and into younger bodies. I've never actually done physical time travel and I've never traveled, um, back to the Marauder era. And it's just era. It's just not something that really appealed, appealed to me at all. And then here I am doing this and I'm like, well, that happened. And I've always wondered how writers got there. And now I know. You get fucking bored, okay? You get bored. And it's like, how many goddamn times? Well, you do get bored with executing. I mean, this one of the reasons why I'm, aside from the fact that I needed to find some other dick for Tony to jump on, um, one of the reasons why I'm so enamored with putting Tony into other, you know, story, into, into other fandoms is because, you know, I, I can only write so many case files in NCIS before I'm going to lose my mind. Um, you just get tired of doing the same old thing. So, um, and some fandoms are, are have more potential for that kind of thing. I am really intrigued by the concept of trying to do, uh, you know, three connected stories for the year. Um, I just, I have a lot of experience with serials. I mean, I've, I've done it a lot in fandom, so that is actually in my comfort zone, I think. And that's helpful. Um, you know, what might have been Sentinels of Atlantis. Um, so, although what might have been is more on par with what I currently have planned than Sentinels of Atlantis, which is um, just um, a, lot, a lot of them are really short episodes. But uh, if, if, what might have been a novella yeah. series. And Ties That Bind was a novella series as well. Although some of them got long as well. Um, yeah, we're only doing one story in July this year because... I feel like we need to kind of transition a little bit because that's also the start of the quantum bang and people are signing up for the quantum bang in August. And I feel like um, that it would be easier on people if July wasn't um, what it was originally conceived to be, which was a boot camp. <laughs> so, and you know, just to, just to see how it goes. Because I am going to do like a, like a 30 K novel novella in April um ish it's gonna be my foundation so it could be longer and then i'll have a 25k novella in july and then i'll have the big ass time travel novel in april that's looking to be about 150k no pressure yeah but there's lots of shit that goes down and so it's um it's a different mindset um harry will be harry will be operating in a world where he's not famous for what he's famous for um there will be you know there'll be politics and um you know job related issues and magical rituals and lots of sex but the soulmate option in april it um it's it's interesting to me to come into this because um they're they're soulmates that can't bond because of the dark mark so like there's this this well, I don't want to spoil it, but um, that plays throughout the whole thing. You know, Harry wanting this thing, Draco being afraid to want this thing. Um, and I think that plays into, you know, that the whole idea of, of what a soulmate could be 
to your character, um, someone who understands your character and loves your character and responds well to your character and um, who accepts them for who they are. And that's what Draco needs. He needs somebody to accept him for who he was and who, and who he is and who he wants to be in the future. Um, and he doesn't think that Harry can, can give him that. And Harry just wants to be um, loved and valued for who he is and not who everybody expects him to be. So it's an interesting situation there and the whole soulmate thing and how that works and the mechanics of it and um, the inability to bond because of the dark mark. And I'm just, I'm really looking forward to the, to, to exploring the whole thing. I think it'll be um, very interesting. I think it's going to be fascinating. I'm so intrigued by the concept of the three stories being connected. That was hard. I do. I did wish at the very beginning when I was starting it, you might need an emotional support puffskin. Yeah. Maybe Niffler or puffskin or, you know, a baby dragon, whatever you, you know, whatever you need, just pick it up. Um, but, um, but I don't write a whole bunch of angst and unhappy endings. So, you know, you never have to worry about that, really. I don't do that. That, that, that. that isn't my... And if I ever did do it, I would definitely put a big-ass giant warning on top of it. Don't read this. <laughs> I, menopause ruined me briefly. <laughs> but um, I really, 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 when I first conceptualized the idea, was I, I really wanted to switch November and April so I could put the time travel first. <laughs> Because <laughs> building up to the time travel was challenging. Because normally with like an AU like this, I would be starting with the time travel. Yeah. And we talked briefly like, oh, I wish the time travel was first. Um, and I actually, the thing is, I wish time travel was first for a completely different reason. Um, my wish was that the time travel was first because um, I wanted... I felt like I had just written a year, failed at a year of writing Soulmate, and I wish that time travel was up next. Just, you know, but I need to not think of, I need to cut and reframe it in my own head that it's not a year, you know, I didn't just fail a year of writing Soulmate. Um, but I, don't think we need to, I don't think we need to regard last year as a failure in any single way. Um, it was a difficult year. We made it through to the other side. We personally did not pr participate in a res in an insurrection, so I think we're doing okay. <laughs> and I was talking, you know, I am. Um, my sister and I were comparing notes. She was like, "I didn't. I was. I find I lose weight last year. I didn't lose any weight." And I was like, "But you didn't gain weight, you know something? <laughs> and you should just you should just give yourself a giant pat on the back that in the year of Uber Eats and DoorDash." that she didn't gain any weight. I did gain weight last year, but not only did I lose the weight, it I lost beyond. So I did lose weight some some weight, weight over where I started the year, but I actually was, lost 10 pounds. It was a little bit accidental, but I mean, I, I kind of pat myself on the back on that, you know, because, you know, I I did I did gain the COVID-19. Um I mean, we didn't kill anybody either. We didn't We didn't have to bury any bodies in the woods. Not that we've ever had to do that. I'm just saying that we didn't do it. I think we could talk that last year up as a success for that reason alone. We're yeah. not going to be featured in a future cold case episode on Netflix. 
<laughs> oh yeah, I mean, you call you call it the pandemic fifteen, but my doctor's just been calling it the COVID nineteen. Like everybody's gaining <laughs> the COVID nineteen. Um, like everybody who comes in after a year of it, it's seeing at home eating fast food is gaining the COVID nineteen. Um, and I did earlier in the year, by the over the summer for sure. I mean, but my loss it in the fall. But you know, it, it's hard for me from a writing perspective not to feel ooky about last year. Yeah, but you know, it's it's so I kind of keep trying to. That's why I kind of decided to reframe my expectations for my writing this year into smaller increments that I would assess a little differently. So rather than set a goal from the year that I would set the goal, like evaluate it, you know, on a smaller scale and go, what am I trying to accomplish this week or this month? You know, what does that look like for me? What, how much time do I put into it? What inspires me? And really kind of just try to get in touch with my own head more and, and get out of the, I get out of the obligation and also to not, to not jump into anything that stresses me out. So if something conceptually stresses me out, I'm like, I'm just not going to do it. Just so. nope. That's a no Ooh. from me, dog. What I would say is if you're having like a conceptual issue around the idea of soulmates, um, to reframe it in a different way would be to not make the soulmate thing the feature. You can make it to fix it. Like, you know, for instance, you can use the soulmate concept to fix an element of canon that bothers you. In this state? Like, for instance, would Thorin Oakenshield be a real dick the whole way to Erebor if Bilbo Baggins was his soulmate? Well, no, he probably would not. And what if the soulmate bond kept him from getting gold madness? I am all on board with this. But... If somebody's just going to use that to retell the the journey, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta say no. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You do what you want, whatever inspires you. Like you know, what if having a soulmate meant that Tony Dinozo quits in CIS before, like, like maybe during the events of Swack, maybe or whatever. You know, just like. Take an element of canon that really pisses you off and look at it and say, okay, how would that have gone down if so-and-so had a soulmate? Would they even be there? What would they be doing? They might be in Hawaii living their best life with a hot-ass Navy SEAL. Or in Denver with a hot-ass Navy SEAL. Because I'm not picky. No. <laughs> pick, pick a SEAL, any SEAL. Um. <laughs> Just say it. I'm not picky. But so if like if like like a long time ago I was talking about how I like to write um stories where um my conflict is external mm -hmm. and like well, that I get conflict. my couple and kind of Yeah, you do like us against the universe. You do. Uh, yeah, I'll agree with you there. Right. I really enjoy the us against the universe concept. And so, you know, that would take away all of the angst around the whole soulmate thing if you wrote that that way if you wrote um that their soulmate bond is the reason that they're in their current circumstances and you don't actually have to write the meet cute or the oh hey we're soulmates you can start it in the middle here's a story about john shepherd going to um atlantis um 
with his uh, with his soulmate. They've been out there for about a year, and this is what's going on right now. How would things have been different for Rodney if John and Rodney met in college and bonded as soulmates? How would they have been different for John? Yeah. Because Rodney sure as hell wouldn't have gotten sent to Siberia. No. And John probably wouldn't have been um, in Afghanistan to get the black mark. He might have even done your whole big gay and loving Canada thing, except not the big gay loving Canada part. He would have probably, maybe he would have joined. Didn't Isn't that the big gay loving Canada where he joins um, the Royal Canadian he was, Air Force? He was, he was in the Air Force, in the United States Air Force, and left because they pissed Rodney off. Right, but which story is it where he joins the Royal Canadian Air Force or whatever? Was that That's not mine. That's not yours. Mm-mm. Don't think so. I mean, Lady Holder. No, she no, she went to bed. Um, <laughs> isn't that a damn thing when you're like, <sighs> you gotta check your best friend. Yeah. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a soulmate bond is an obvious way to like in The Hobbit to have John. Um. I could have sworn it was you who had an EAD where um, John's in the military in Canada so that he and Rodney can be together. Mm-mm. Big Gay Love in Canada is on EAD. It's not actually called Big Gay Love in Canada. It, um, she's that just, just called it that. Because title. We, can never, we can never. Yeah, I could think it's I can never remember the actual title. Um, is it the I end of Surrogate? Surrogate's the one where John has Rodney's babies, right? Big Gay Live in Canada is too on is is on EAD. You didn't take that down. Yeah, you? yeah, you it took, is on EAD. You took. I was gonna say you took my favorite. No, of course my favorite, not. My favorite, and I clearly I can't remember the plot. Um, <laughs> but I have two basically where John and Rodney are together um, and get approached by the SGC. Um, one is where they left the Stargate program because Weir was mean to Rodney, and they went to Canada, and John got his PhD. And Rodney is up for the Nobel, but he doesn't win it. But he pretends to be okay with it when he's not. And the other ones where Rodney told the SGC to fuck off when they were tied to send him to Siberia. And he left. And John, it was his best friend from college who was in the Navy. And John left the Navy, retired his commission or resigned his commission um, to go to work with Rodney on some science stuff. And they had a big gay wedding. And Patrick was his best man. In their big gay wedding. Because John said there's nothing like having an admiral standing up and dress white at a big gay wedding to tell the Navy to go fuck themselves. <laughs> yeah, they yeah they solved a millennial problem to, um, to fund their business. Yeah. So I don't actually have one where he's in the Canadian Air Force. I don't believe. But if I do, Lady Holder would know about it. <laughs> I thought he was in the Canadian. It made up in the Air Force. But I thought he was in the Canadian military. Mm-mm. Did I tell you about the Tony Stark story I had where Tony Stark becomes a Mountie? I plotted? No. <laughs> I'm going to tell you about that later. Okay. Cock tease. <laughs> okay. But um, oh, oh, you so told good. Desert about that. <laughs> I can't find Big Little in Canada. It's, it's, I can't, cause what is it actually called? I read a long one. Uh, uh, it's called More Than Anything. Um, there was one a long time ago where um, the IOA decided that they wanted somebody besides an American to be in charge of the military on Atlantis. But they didn't want to part 
with Rod John because of his ATA gene. Um, and Rodney suggested that um, he and John get married and then John could join the Canadian Air Force. <laughs> it was very convoluted. <laughs> so obviously, he just wanted to get in his pants. But <laughs> obviously. Thank you, Willow. On some of your things, you put like a little working title, you know, in, mm -hmm. in parentheses next to it. Go put yeah. Big Gay Love in Canada on that. <laughs> but yeah, there is a story. And I, I really thought it was one of Kira's EADs, but I'm I'm just, if it's not, I it's somebody else's EAD probably. Uh, conflating, conflation happens um, where John moves to Canada and Canada puts, he winds up in the, in the, um, <laughs> in the, um, oh, it's on your site that way. That's where yeah, you did it. On my fan, uh, on my EAD index. Yeah. Cause I, cause people kept asking for it and I kept forgetting what it was called. You forgot too. Um, I did a lot because that was the working title for six months, which is why I no longer do working titles. Working titles are a bitch. They just stick with you and then you're screwed. And I've had people say, oh, I'll just use a working title for my rough trade project. Like, no, that's going to stick with you forever. If you Don't actually write the whole story under that title, you're going to be screwed. Your ear will be like, well, what happened to so-and-so? It's, it's called this. And that's not what it was called. No. <laughs> people arguing with you about your title. Uh-uh. <laughs> I wrote it down. <laughs> I have screenshots. <laughs> Because they probably do have screenshots. You just you don't understand. Yeah, but it's an interesting idea. Like, would if to use the soulmate thing to take your basically, you could really shift your GMC for plots. Like somebody mentioned the One Ring. Um, if if Thorin and Bilbo are not working against each other, maybe Bilbo confides about finding the ring. Um, and that could take them on a completely different path to dealing with the ring um well what if what if what if bilbo and thorn are soulmates and they meet years before what if when gandalf comes knocking on thorn's door in blue mount in the blue mountains bilbo baggins answers it took me a minute to parse that i must be tired um i'm not mad at this idea and he's like yeah, maybe he was a traveling blacksmith and he met him, or maybe they met in Bree. Um, or maybe Bilbo like felt the yearning. Maybe the hobbits have a yearning for their soulmate and he went walkabout <laughs> or whatever. Maybe, maybe that's why he went walkabout. That's not that's not where I wanted to be. He ends up walking his butt all the way to the Blue Mountains and Yeah, um, Hobbits have soulmates. Do you guys have soulmates? Yeah, 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 we have soulmates. Well, I have this, I think my soulmate's in this mountain. And they're all like, well, he's cute. Let <laughs> me in. Him. Let me in. <laughs> or bring, or they send bring him, him out. In. I, don't, I don't care which. I have a house. <laughs> Speaking of the Hobbit and Thorin and Bilbo meeting ahead, um, I was reading this right before um my god what is it called i have to go look at my history because i have no brain seriously i'm just gonna blame the drugs i did have lots of drugs today i had injections in my back so i got a propofol nap this morning they're all legal <laughs> all legal all administered by medical professionals 
Um, yeah. So did you see that Sunrider did a prompt, the Hobbit prompt for the prompt calendar? No. Oh, dude, it's banging. It's called something of his own. And it's the, it's the prompt for um, your prompt was uh, Thorne is working in Bree the first time he meets the Baggins of Bag End. <laughs> I was reading this right before I started the podcast. I was almost late because I was trying to finish it before the podcast started. I shall click on this and put it in my... I shall click on it and I shall read it and I shall call it George. Unless I don't like it, then I shall probably call it Roger. (laughs) I'm pretty sure I would call it Brad. (laughs) Brad, Bradley. Bradford. Yes, yes, I do. (laughs) Yes, I do. Um, The grief mourning is about the loss of his parents. So canon death, the, the canon loss of Bilbo's parents is right after the loss of his parents is when Bilbo meets Thorin. Willow is demonstrating her Google foo and how it went awry. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, that is, that is Google foo definitely going awry. Bilbo is sad. Thorin makes him unsad as you do. Um, I know Jelana. And the thing is, it happens to me too. And I usually read most of these fics. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. Um, I like the idea of, I really do like the idea of, I like the idea of both things we've just talked about here of, of connecting the works. It is hard, man, to do time travel last. Um, that is, that is the hard, but you've had an unusual circumstance where I think it really works to do time travel last, but, uh, but there's nothing to say you can't do time travel twice, actually. Right. You could do time travel in the first story. And then they go back in the second story in November. But anyway, whatever. I like the idea of three connected stories. I like the idea of um, using the soulmate thing to fix as a fix it as a fix it uh, catalyst. I think that that's different, very different approach to what to do, rather than just "I love you, you love me, we're a happy family." <laughs> I can't believe you. No one goes full Barney. <laughs> I did. I went full Barney. dishonor on your whole herd (laughs) because I didn't do that spotted zebra thing from Madagascar my sister hates it when I do that (laughs) she hates it she hates it one day she's going to chuck a shoe at your head and it will be your own fault maybe Maybe. But like I said, she gets revenge. Every time I do it, she starts having Tom's diner. And, you know, <laughs> she's next level with her spite. Mm-mm-mm. But I do think that if you're having, like, problems getting your head around the whole soulmate thing, using it as a, um, as more of a tool in your writing box, instead of the focal point of your story, you're, you're, the concept is really loose as far as the challenge goes. Um, so whether you're writing a story about soulmates meeting or you're writing a story about soulmates killing a dragon or you're writing a story about soulmates traveling in time and killing a dragon. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, whatever. Whatever you got to do. I'll have to ponder it. I don't have... Um... I don't think, I mean, the thing is, nothing is screaming. The things that are appealing to me are shorter, actually weird. It's weirdly, that's the stuff that I kind of go, um, 
would be 10 or 15 K. Um, when I started thinking about a 30 K plot, I go, Hmm, no, that ain't going to get me there. I actually underplotted my quantum bang too. It's been a weird thing. I, I haven't checked in yet, but I realized I was dr- going to be dramatically under word count. I was like, how does that happen? <laughs> what the fuck? So I had to go back to the drawing board on that and put a different subplot. Take I took one subplot out and put a different subplot in that's a bit bigger. But I'm having this thing where I'm plotting things shorter. I, I know. It feels like... <laughs> And then, I mean, I don't know what's happening to me because I told Kira the other day I just sat down and plotted a zombie story. Like, I think people need to start checking for pods because I don't understand what's going on with me and the writing. I mean, I'm plotting zombie fic. Um, I'm under word count. Both my reverse bangs actually wound up being more than longer than I wanted them to be, but I knew those ideas were bigger than I wanted them to be. That's just you know, it's a thing. But the the I, my idea for, for my quantum bang is short. I'm like, what the fuck? And that my ideas that I've come up with that I find appealing for April are all too short. Um, yeah. And I never set out to fail at the challenges. So I just keep working it till I have an idea that I think will meet. Now, sometimes I fail, even though I, you know, I, I blow the word count anyway, but I never set out to blow the word count. That's never the goal. So I never set out to come under when there's a minimum and I never set out to go over when there's a maximum. It just happens. It's not so much the eating, I don't actually, the eating brains thing doesn't really appeal to me, but um, I was plotting a zombie thing as zombies as a means of outing the supernatural world because supernaturals are, are immune or and magical people are immune. Um, and they don't call it zombies. The government insists you call it temporary reanimation syndrome. <laughs> we have a name. This is the propaganda. Use it. Use it. Um, but then I'm sitting there going, oh my god. And the thing is, I don't really like zombie stories. I mean, like Claire's story is like one of the rare exceptions. Um, because the zombies aren't the point. Right? The point is the fucking time travel and the fix it. And the, the break in my heart, making it all better. <laughs> of just course the government has on it. Your heart. Just, just pull your heart out of your chest and stomp on it. Mm-hmm. Stomp, stomp. Claire. But the thing is, I, Claire's, Claire's story, as much I love it, is one of my favorite stories in Teen Wolf. Um, nice, Starlight. Um, as, as glad as I was to have that, to have read that story finally, it sat in my to-read list forever. Because I go, when am I going to be in the mood to read a zombie story? Never. Um, and then one day... I, I was just telling, um, oh, you, you got back to me talking about um, me plotting a zombie story and that we need to check for pods. And I love that story. It really is one of my favorite Teen Wolf stories. But it took me forever to read it because zombies, because I don't like zombie stories. I mean, that Ask is... Ask Claire, what we were talking about is how you broke our hearts. <laughs> we were talking about how you broke our hearts. You stomped yeah. on them. But I love the story because the zombies are incidental. They aren't about... The story's not about the zombies. The story is about... Derek and Styles surviving and f- getting their shit together and and Claire ripping our hearts out and then fixing it and setting them back in time and getting fixing all the things. I know, Starlight, that's the story. That's one of the fandoms I want to do a zombie story in. Fuck. But, I mean, why do I want to write? I don't actually want to write a zombie story. It's killing me. I- I'm telling you, there's something wrong with me. So, anywho. 
Um, I've just I've underplotted. I've had every all my ideas. I go that's going to be ten k, fifteen k. It's a thirty k challenge. I need more idea than that. Um, and then I go <laughs> off and start plotting a zombie story, and I'm like, I am really all over the map. I just need to set this aside. I need to be glad that I got my reverse bang rewritten in the last forty eight hours. Um, take a deep breath and move on. I think that because of the themes that we're doing this year, that it would be difficult to write a connected piece in a lot of fandoms. Because, okay, yeah, soulmates, yes. Paranormal elements, okay, maybe it was a soulmate, because that soulmate issue might be paranormal in itself. Time travel. That could work. It, for me, the connected, I could do connected to soulmate to time travel, not a problem. Like Steve and Tony meet, they become soulmate. They realize the soulmates, some plot there. The wraith come. Time travel is that all getting sorted. They go back in time. I'd do soul regression probably to before the whole kerfuffle. But it's the paranormal element in that one that's the problem. So with that idea, the uh, element becomes the, paran- the paranormal one. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not probably not going to do July anyway. Um, so it's you, Harry Potter is a really good fandom for connecting those three because you got you got a time travel mechanism that's baked in. You know, Harry Potter, you can do time travel, um, and you've got certainly got you can do paranormal with Harry Potter. So not not every fandom is easy with. I think that probably Harry Potter would be one. The Hobbit would be another. Um, the MCU. MCU. I mean, I could do like a contemporary fandom for the soulmate thing. You could do the zombie apocalypse happens for the paranormal part. And then it turns out there's the Stargate thing and they do time travel to because of the zombie apocalypse to reverse the whole zombie thing. I mean, it's a little thin. I have to work on how those stories actually connected. Like what character is tying this together? Because you need a character arc to pull that all through, right? Yeah, you do. Um, so that really matters what character you're focused on and that does this character pull through all three stories. Um, I think you could do it. And like, I would put in, I could, I mean, I'm, I find it such an intriguing concept to connect all three stories that, you know, I might be willing to put in the work on that, but like I said, I'm I'm not sure about July. Um, I think that if, like, if you were going to do it in Stargate, that the zombie, there's a, a, never mind. No. I was about to actually suggest that you write Plague. What the fuck? What is wrong with me? Why am I like this? If I want to write a Plague, I, mean, I could just write... <laughs> there are two shows I'm watching right now that actually are all up in the Plague in their canon. So I could just oh, go there. God, God, honey, God. But what I was going to say is that the Ori sent a Plague to Earth. But what if it made zombies instead of killing people? <laughs> Temporary reanimation syndrome. <laughs> well, I think in order to make a zombie, it has to kill them first, right? Because zombies aren't. I'm not sure, you know. but it has, there's a lot of different zombie mythos, you know? Sometimes they die and reanimate, sometimes they kind of convert. It's whatever. I don't know. I'm not. I, I figure I find it generally such an unappealing concept that I. I'd make well, up my own. The thing. MCU has um, all that baked in. I mean, not, not the soulmate thing, but the soulmate thing would be easy to mix in. And there are already paranormal elements in the MCU. 
um, because there's magic, which is a paranormal element. Yeah. Um, and time travel, of course, is canon for MCU. Um, I saw my brain just now. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't. I mean, yeah, MCU is a good choice to do the three together, or at least connect a contemporary fandom to the MCU. Um, Stargate is difficult because of the paranormal one, um, unless you cause a plague like zombies. Um Contemporary fandom, you could easily take a contemporary fandom and fuse in a paranormal element. I think that's a problem, but then time travel becomes an issue. Which time travel to me is more of a sci-fi concept than a paranormal concept. Unless you're doing it with magic, which then becomes a... Yeah. But the soulmate thing could be magical, which would make both April and July paranormal. If you carry your soulmate characters into July, it's automatically a paranormal. There. The July it's July the word count super stresses me out. It, like freaks me out actually. What is that what is it that what is it that Scotty said about like shooting off a train into a shot glass or something? I thought what is the word count for July? Having already plotted my July story. It's narrow, it's twenty to twenty five K and it's like I've never hit Well like it's always there. I always blow it. I'm either like, okay, I have like two settings in July. 10K, 40K. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's like, the thing is, I just never set out to fail. And when it's like the target, when the target is a 5K window, I, I really, what is that something about jumping off a shot glass, jumping off a train into a shot glass? That's what it feels like to me. I'm like, <laughs> it makes me so anxious. I can't plot. It's just, my brain freezes up. <sighs> I'm serious, my brain just, my brain just, like, it, it's like somebody doused with ice cubes. It's like, what? I can't do that. Well, what helped me, what helps me most of the time, it's not, I'm not always successful, is that I try to do a three-act. And I try to stay within that three-act. Um, I last, don't... The last hmm. three-act thing I wrote was 35K. See? See, that didn't help. Yeah, but you've been writing shorter lately. <laughs> you, might, you might actually just bang it right out. <laughs> It's not a matter of can I write twenty to twenty five k. It's a matter of like conceptually stress. It's not. It's like it's, I might accidentally land in that window. I think I feel like I would go into it feeling like I was going to fail. And but what I would say about that is that um, that I don't like. And I do this to myself too, and I'm I'm, I'm going to try to reframe it um, where I stop considering. Um, my uh my efforts on rt um a success or a failure because it's like i, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life <laughs> i tried <laughs> i'm gonna start saying i tried because um while i finished in april i didn't feel successful and while i did not finish in november I felt really like I accomplished something. So I don't really feel like I accomplished anything either way. I just felt like November, I at least was pleased with what I did as opposed to the rest of the year. So, I mean, there was that, but I did like my story in November more than I liked anything else I wrote. Um, and maybe, and maybe that's part of it, but I think that I, I need to just pull the word failure out of my vocabulary um, because it's stressing me out. Yeah. I guess, but the thing is when you, when you, when you, 
you know, when I, for me, when I do writing challenges, this is just kind of way my brain has worked. I guess like when I do a challenge, like a bang or whatever, where in a bang, your challenge is to hit a word count goal. So that's a minimum. So okay, I'm going to hit the goal. That's, and I know I'm going to have to write something big enough to hit that goal. Um, and I never set out to not hit that goal. Um, and then like with a reverse bang, the goal is to be inspired by the art. And then usually there's a minimum word count. But most reverse bangs I've ever been in have had a pretty small word, minimum word count that I usually blow right out of the water, except for one time. Sadness. <laughs> sadness i came in like a thousand a hundred words under hundred words under is that the one where you actually had to add a hundred words because you were under a hundred words and they wouldn't take it yeah whatever low job um low job um and we um, mean that literally literally <laughs> i don't usually add extraneous sex but actually i didn't find the sex hurt that story so um, i wasn't ultimately wasn't mad at it but um i don't usually add extraneous sex but I guess for me, it's like when I plot something, I just don't ever plot for a super narrow, for really narrow. For me, 5K is a very narrow window. I usually am like looking at big ranges, like novella is like 17 to 35K. That's a novella, that's a big window. Um, if I'm plotting, okay, you're going to write a novella, I might blow it. I might come in under or over, but I'm going to try to feel like I'm going to go into it, feel like I have some confidence that I can hit the target of the challenge. And if I don't feel like I'm going to be able to hit the target of the challenge, it's like, why would I do the challenge? For me, I know myself. And lately, my chapters have been running between four and 6,000 words. That's where I usually run. So if, so if I want to hit 25K um, on a story, I need to be in or around four and a half chapters-ish. Four to five chapters. Except I wouldn't chapter a story that short. Mm. Except I did. I did. But the funny thing, and if I say that, but the funny thing is I did recently because I did um, my 35K reverse bang um, was three parts. It was a three act and three parts. And each part was between nine and 13K-ish. Um, I decided to do, I because I, I conceived it in three acts, I decided to just let it be three big pieces, which mm -hmm. for something as novella length, I won't, I don't mind. I usually, it's not uncommon for me not to chapter a novella. Um, but then I decided to arbitrarily chapter the novella that's shorter, which is like 22K for the 911 story. Um, and it's, the funny thing is it's actually eight chapters, but... I actually screwed up my chapters and I, it posted seven. I need to fix it, but it's eight chapters in 22 K and I've never written chapters that short, but the chapters run two to three K a piece. And that's not my usual at all, but it's the rhythm of the, that's the rhythm I wanted for the story. Um, yeah, but that's really unusual. I don't usually, and it's a diff completely different fandom though. It, it fit the rhythm of the way that, cause I was, I was mimicking the rhythm of the show. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a completely different, it was kind of an experiment. Um, so that's, I say I don't usually, so I said that I don't usually chapter novellas and then I just have to turn around and just like eat it because I did just put out an eight chapter 20K, 22K novella, whatever. Um, you never know. It's one of those kind of arbitrary things. Yeah, I was put out a 50K novel without chaptering it. Yeah, usually if I perceive something as like a one shot, which is for me is usually under 20k, it's where I think of like the one shot short story thing, I will just put it up as one big blob. Um, 
unless I feel like the rhythm of it is off. And then I'll go back and figure out where my beginning, middle, and end is. Because I always conceive them in acts, even if I don't put those labels on it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but when I write something that's chaptered, I usually go, I usually discrete start and stop of the chapters are obvious, you know, which with the 911 story, it, except for the first chapter, every chapter started with a 911 call. It's just I missed one. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so that was the rhythm. The things right? you like, see after you post. Right. It's like, fuck this. I'm like, I could have sworn there were eight chapters. There were. I posted seven. Um, not that there's anything missing. I just missed one of the 911 calls when I was formatting. Whatever. Um, so, you know, but sometimes I just, I, I try to treat each story individually, but generally I don't chapter, put chapters into novellas. It's just not my usual, my usual rhythm. Cause I just find four chapters to be slightly weird, but I guess I could do that. I could go. Okay. Cause I usually am like you, I'm in the four to six K range is a comfortable chapter length for me. Mm-hmm. Unless I'm really wordy. I think my average chapter length in Desiderata is like seven to 7,500. It's a little long. Um, some some stories just seem to have a lot of talking in them. If there's a lot of dialogue intense scenes, my chapters will run longer than I'm expecting. Usually, yeah, I usually, yeah. I usually hit that 5k per average pretty solidly. Um, but I could try to conceive something that's going to run four chapters and see if it hits the mark, but which would be, but like again, a novella, I don't think of novellas in chaptering, I think of them in acts because they're just short yeah so sometimes well, we get, 25k is what um it's about 8k an act doable yeah i mean doable i can definitely write an 8k act that's not the problem it's stopping at eight <laughs> if i write one more sentence this is going to be a 100k novel <laughs> this isn't going to end so i mean we all have i think sometimes we really get in our own way with um and I'm not going to make a decision until I get closer, but if it's one of those things where it's like I decided if any aspect of writing is stressing me out and I can't figure out how to get around it, I'm not going to stress myself out with my writing this year. I'm just not going to do it. So I'm going to make the decision the month ahead of time. And if it's flipping, but on the other hand, it's difficult if I want to plot something that goes through the whole thing, I got to make a decision about July now, not make a decision about July in June. So I don't know. Indecision, indecision. Because it's just one of those things. I just, like, I'm not going to torture myself with my ring. I don't want to be stressed. Well, what you can do is do your whole plot for the year. And when you get to July, if you don't feel like you can participate in July officially, don't. Write on your own time and post it on your site before November. So your readers will have the what, what they need, which means you'd have to edit your April and put it up probably before July. Um, and then yeah. write you as you want in your own privacy, in your own time, or on the Wild Hair Project if you wanted. That would work. And then you come into November having done your work and you're ready to go. Yeah, I could do that. And for those listening to this podcast later, I was trying to find the quote so that Desert did find it for me. The quote was jumping off from a moving jumping from a moving car off a bridge into a shot glass. Um, which I always thought that was a very funny little analogy for what was that about transwarp aiming? Was that what he was using that analogy for? 
I think so. Sacred puppy. No, he says transport beaming is like trying to hit a bullet with a smaller bullet whilst wearing a blindfold riding a horse. The shot glass thing was from something else. Uh, two two people on the same platform from two different start places. From Into Darkness. Thank you. I hate not being able to like place a quote. It drives me bonkers. So I'm going to have to definitely ponder this soulmate as fix it angle because that would allow you to use a more conventional trope if you aren't wanting to write and or me, you know, as the case may be, a more conventional soulmate trope, um, and not um, necessarily um, focus on the soulmate aspect of it. So that it's kind of it's it's like you said, a tool instead of a instead of the point itself. The soulmate thing itself is not not the point. Huh? I just got an idea. <laughs> I love giving people other ideas. I love when people get ideas around me. I find it very inspiring when other people are inspired. This is also how I end up with 200 works in progress. <laughs> I know this, the, the works in progress just they just breed, don't they? And I've been doing a lot of writing on my tablet lately, and really the only way to write effectively on my tablet is to write and save to um OneDrive. And um, so now I've got all of these works that are in OneDrive. So they're in a different file structure than everything else. And it drives me a little bit bonkers because, I mean, I could save to, um, no, it doesn't work well. It just, it's, it's, Microsoft's infrastructure is just so much better baked with, it works better with itself, you know? I do know. Um, and I'm not mad. I have that problem when I, but what I do normally is I will um, take it off. I, I will copy it from OneDrive onto my Google Drive for my own um, use on my computer. Um, I just, you know. Yeah, I, I just, I've been, I do, I do sync them up occasionally. I just haven't been doing a ton. So the two different locations, file locations drive me a little bit crazy right now, but you know, I'm, I'm dealing. Um, but I want to, let's we go ahead in the podcast. I think we've kind of, talked our way out of this <laughs> we've talked our way and we didn't even talk about fisting you because you told me we couldn't and yet you bring it up <laughs> we're not actually talking about it are we <laughs> i hope that this has been entertaining um I did put up a podcast tonight. I did um, edit one and finish uploading it. I've got about five that are pending and I will be hopefully doing them. Jesus Christ. Um, sooner rather than later. Uh, and I hope that you enjoyed it and um, that you got some inspiration for April and you're thinking about how you're going to um, approach the challenges this year for rough trade. If you're going to do them and that you will, that will, that we're going to get through this and it'll be okay. We are going to get through it. And if you're struggling um, with finding your creative groove again, finding your lane, um, you know, you can put a note and ask a question for the podcast. You can ping me. You can comment on just right. We will help. We will help. We will help broaden your lane. Or help you f maybe temporarily find it differently. Maybe you need to just spend a little time writing a little bit of crack fic. I was plotting crack fic today. I was plotting zombie fic too. They could actually be the same thing. There's nothing wrong with a little bit of an emotional support penguin. Okay? 
Find your emotional support penguin. And if it's a zombie fic, <laughs> so be it. <laughs> so be it. Say good night, Jillian. Good night, everyone.